Hello, and welcome to Girls Gone Canon Reads A Song of Ice and Fire, episode 162, A Clash of Kings prologue, Maester Crescent, featuring Alexandra August of uh, Got Thrones notoriety, first of all, because you have to remember your roots, and Skybound infamy and notoriety, the director of podcast production at Skybound. I'm one of your hosts, Chloe. And I am another one of your hosts, Eliana. And yes, thank you so much for joining us today. Alex, we're going to call you Alex. Just nobody get mixed up. Yep. Drill it in. Drill it in. I approve. Thank you for the introduction. Thank you for having me, ladies. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you here. You've had us before. And now we're having you over, which is so exciting. And you are kind of... You're a mogul, you know. I go a little far back with you. I think you and I have been buddies on the internet since like 2015, yeah. just like Eliana and I actually. 2015. And I also, you know, I used to listen to, I got to know you a little bit, and your co host Johnny from Got Thrones, mm-hmm. back listening to that back in uh, the, the weekly season five episodes, which we all really needed, my God, at the time. And I've been able to get to know you through kind of your adventures at Skybound as a producer and a writer and a director and a performer, right? For the better part of seven years. Yes, I have done all of those things at least once over the course of seven. Oh, it's been so nice. Yeah, now I'm like thinking about it too. Yeah. I was very intimidated by Chloe I'm- and Eliana on Twitter because they made way better jokes about Game of Thrones than I did. And so it was like very oh. exciting when we became friends. I felt very important and cool. Wow. I don't even know oh, people no. yeah, saw me on Twitter. Yeah. Wow. I hope no one sees. No, they do. And I don't like it sometimes. Sometimes it's good, though. Sometimes. I have gotten to the point. I don't know. Like, now where I um for a while, I was like podcast producer. It's skybound because I was I like my job and was real proud of it. But then I was like, wait a minute. I lip off on Twitter a lot. And sometimes I'm not sober on this website. So we're just going to call me a podcast <laughs> producer and make me a little harder to associate with my professional work. Mm, that's smart. Yeah. That's yeah. very smart. I should have done that. But I didn't. Damn. I have a, you know, separation of things. Um, it's funny. Yeah, I guess I have, like, what? That I was our ass off mod because you were talking about season five. And I was like, I can't. I can't talk about it. That was, like, traumatic for, <laughs> for me. <laughs> that was a time. That was a hard time. It was a hard time. But look at it. Look at us now. We're all here. We're hanging out. And I got some good friends out of it. And, uh, yeah, this is, I feel like for for all of us right now, this is sort of maybe Alex's like to go forward, you must go back moment, but less death. Well, no, there's some death in this episode. Oh, there is some death. <laughs> oh no, oh no. It's a crazy episode to come on for. I forgot how much I liked. I think as I was rereading it, I forgot how I realized I'm like, oh yeah, I really like how we had such a definitive end to Game of Thrones. And then there's this like equally thrilling beginning of a clash of kings that opens up a new it opens up a new aspect of this world and makes it just as trenchant and compelling as anything else and it's like that's a pretty tall order to top ned dying drogo sorry spoilers uh drogo dying (laughs) and some some new dragons (laughs) that's true yeah it's got religion it's got power blood excellent face tattoos that's true they do have face tattoos yeah colored content very cartoony too in some aspects right like it's a lot of it's it's the tim burton chapter this is the tim burton chapter i thought you were gonna say it's the i guess it's not quite the hellfire chapter yet it's not quite hunchback of notre dame yet. not yet but we'll get there well before we get there before we get there 
We're so excited to have you on, and I, I'm actually very excited. We're going to be, I don't know, not a break. We have a, uh, a week off that we're going to do our His Dark Materials episode, right? Our penultimate Amber Spyglass episode coming out next week after this week's episode. Uh, after that, we'll come back to chat. Right, we're going to get to our third prologue. Yeah. Our third of our prologues. And we have a very special guest coming on for chat. Chat. Yeah, we are bringing on our good friend Micah, whom you might all know from Planet Host Podcast and also uh, minor character notoriety. Chloe's really into this word notoriety today. This is her robust, you know? Like, I don't know. What's imagine happening. if you're Sue from Beep. This is your robust. And. <laughs> So, yes, Mike is going to come on, regale us with some of his minor character knowledge. Yeah, we need that. We do need that. He is a good beacon in times for that. Sometimes he's always up on the Discord posting some minor character knowledge for us. I know we've had a lot of fun at the Discord recently with rewatches, right? We've been rewatching His Dark Materials, the, the TV adaptation that rocks over at BBC HBO, uh, we're going to do a His Dark Materials episode for Patreon this month on the lantern slides that came out by Philip Pullman. Some old, some new. We'll talk about that. Uh, our Stranger Tier and Above gets Patreon episodes monthly bonus episodes. We're going to read this so you can listen in if you like. And our patron members in the Thunder Tier and Above get a few other perks like our brunch slash happy hour that's happening this weekend if you're listening to this episode as it goes live. That is this weekend. Oh shit. How fun. How exciting. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. This is this is what I have planned. <laughs> yes, so as you all know, we do have our Discord brunch slash happy hour. And it's open to members in the Thunder Tier and above. And I don't know, we we have a couple of ideas. I think I'm thinking we're going to try a version maybe of a game that forces people to give presentations, like a PowerPoint presentation of something that uh you did not, a presentation you did not make and that you know nothing about. I think it'll be fun. I think apparently that's also available on one of the Jackboxes. But. Yeah, well, we could pull that out, too. I think I have most of them now. I've bought a few on sale. So yeah. we're going to kick back, relax, chit-chat, drinks, games, get to know yous, you know, have a good time. That sounds cool. I really like, I, I want to have a PowerPoint night. Yeah, well, you can join. You can have a PowerPoint morning <laughs> slash afternoon. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you May don't 22nd. Have, yeah, you don't have to, I usually drink water, to be honest. <laughs> Sometimes a coffee. In my younger years, I was maybe drinking some mimosas, you know, or something crazy, but no, not in my older years, my two years later. Yeah. I'm no longer welcome at day drinking parties. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Listen to us, DCC. Eliana. I know we actually did kind of get a comment of note this week. We have not been going to our emails. We have not been looking at our tweets as much lately. We're sorry. It's because we had to go all the way back to the beginning. We don't want to be spoiled in our, our, our recent endeavor to dip into each book. I don't know. I don't think people have been emailing or tweeting us about Crescent, except for our friend Rowan, who posted something on Discord and says, I would like to humbly request that y'all mention in the next episode that this character introduction 
goes harder than pretty much any character introduction ever. And this is, of course, Melisandre's introduction. Alex, will you please do us the honors of reading? The woman was the heart of it. Not the Lady Selyse, the other one. The red woman the servants had named her, afraid to speak her name. I will speak her name, Crescent told his stone hellhound. Melisandra. Her. Melisandra of Ashai, sorceress, shadowbinder, and priestess to Rahalar, the lord of light, the heart of fire, the god of flame and shadow. Melisandra, whose madness must not be allowed to spread beyond Dragonstone. Thank you. Thank you. That's beautiful. Well I haven't done. heard beautiful. that pronunciation yet of Valor. Oh, whoops. Rahalar uh, is just what my brain wants to do. <laughs> yeah. Eliana and I always differ, like, the yeah. exact opposite way on, an, like, on a name that maybe isn't in the show or has you don't hear often out yeah. loud. Like, Eliana and I always go opposite ways, and it's always entertaining to me. Always. And, like, Lisa and Liss. I, I like to mix it up because I feel like there's a lot of wordplay going on with that name. So I say all the different versions just to cover all the bases. But then she doesn't care about Lissa, Aaron. It's nice. Like, I feel like if you go, ha- if you do just kind of have a variety of it, then, you know, when George does eventually come out with a pronunciation guide. So you you will at least be right some of the time. Someone will be right. I mean, I've said this before. George pronounces Dothraki wrong, so he has no he has no power here. He says Dothraki, and I'm like, I can't take you Sorry. seriously. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> You're wrong. That's objectively wrong. <sighs> yeah, I, I think that's the loveliest part of books, right? They happen in our heads. That's kind of neat. And in our it's hearts. kind of neat. And sometimes in our hearts, in our cold, dead hearts. Uh, like Crescent's cold dead heart. And wow. before we could talk about Crescent's wow. cold dead heart and his unpulsing vein, I think we need to do our lightning round, which last week, if you experienced the lightning round, thank you, Eliana. It was an experience. It was my vision brought to life. We have a different one today. And, you know, we got to talk about Stannis in Game of Thrones. That's what we do missed we? in this lightning round. <laughs> I guess this is it. This is the last time. Until we get a book that we have to talk about it. So let's dig in. Shit. Second to last time, the penultimate time that we really have to talk about it. So let's start. In a Game of Thrones, John Aaron has been murdered. Murdered. Betrayal. Stannis swiftly runs to gather his royal fleet and strength at Dragonstone, thinking it was the Innocente, Cersei Lannister, who poisoned John Aaron. Justice for Cersei. Oh, she really was innocent. <laughs> yeah, I know. Meanwhile, himbo dad Eddard Stark thinks Stannis must have discovered the reason John Aaron was murdered, and doesn't even think maybe his handjob promotion was pretty insulting to Stannis. Ned drops into Stannis' DMs like, "What are you doing?" And Stannis leaves him on bread. <laughs> Dude, he's so good. <sighs> Ned discovers Stannis and John were besties, like BFFs, while investigating King's Landing. And then he was like, wow, they went to a brothel together. Stannis would never do that. WTF. Eddard is like, what? Uh, Stannis isn't into that rogue princery. Uh, rogue princery. Robert dies, and it's succeeded by his son, Joff Baratheon-esque. And Eddard is selected to rule as regent. But... He wants to bring Stannis into the fray, 
However, Cersei dashes that dream and Petyr betrays dad. Gasp. Betrayal. Get a job. <laughs> the last hope, of course, is hand job delivered. Wait, no, just hand delivered to Stanny when the Wind Witch hopes to sail north. But Tomard is slain by gold cloaks. And the galley never leaves the capital, allowing Joffrey to execute Nedward and ascend the throne. I just like it. I don't know. I do I like Nedward. Like Nedward, yeah. Maybe it just makes me. Yeah, that's that's where I'm at with it. I, it, I, I don't know. And I feel like who's SpongeBob? And Stannis is more Squidward. Yeah. Um. Yeah, Renly? No. I think I Ned. Know. SpongeBob is. I don't know. Brienne. Too happy. Is Jamie Spongebob thwarting? <laughs> uh, we end Game of Thrones' giant arc with Varys telling the small council that Stannis is building ships, hiring swords, and bringing a shadow binder to Dragonstone, which leads us to the prologue of A Clash of Kings, Maester Crescent. And that's what you missed last time on A Game of Thrones. Oh my god, I was going to say, this is Kyle Haber, signing off. The comet's tail spread across the dawn, a red slash that bled above the crags of Dragonstone like a wound in the pink and purple sky. The maester stood on the windswept balcony outside his chambers. It was here the ravens came, after long flight. Their dropping speckled the gargoyles that rose twelve feet tall on either side of him, a hellhound and a wyvern, two of the thousands that brooded over the walls of the ancient fortress. When first he came to Dragonstone, the army of stone grotesques had made him uneasy, but as the years passed, he had grown used to them. Now he thought of them as old friends. The three of them watched the sky together with foreboding. Aw, they're friends. <laughs> Maester seemed lonely. He had some gargoyles. He does. He does seem lonely, actually. Everyone seems pretty lonely on Dragonstone, actually. We're gonna get into that. Yeah, it's vacation homes go. Actually true. I'm I'm curious if House of the Dragon will feel less lonely. Like, will, will Dragonstone feel like fun times? Well, it seems like there's, um, but, just even in the beginning of this, they talk about sort of like, the what is it, the... the the dragon font, the dragon mont, or something. It sounds like there was because there were dragons here. There were probably there was probably a lot of infrastructure to take care of them, and so I wonder if that's the activity mm. we'll see is more of like people just kind of people being dragon monitors. Maybe that'll be sort of like where the excitement and the draw is. Whereas without the dragons, it's just it's a lot of stone. It's a very it's a very eerie and foreboding place, and like even from the get go, right when we start this chapter, as you were saying earlier, right, like. We are opening on a new place in this story, and it's got a lot of horrific elements, like the language of the comet. It kind of feels like it's pulling back the curtain, right? The comet itself as it goes forward, and there's a lot of description of it here as a red slash or a pink wound, and they talk about the blood. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna just say it, you know, I'm gonna be honest, get a little Freudian here for a second, but it is very sexual imagery, right? Like the way that they describe the streak of the comet across the sky, it makes me think of. A vagina, a bleeding vagina, right? Like the gash and that, you know, people call it a gash sometimes. I'm not, whatever. And like, yeah. we're, we are going to get our introduction to Melisandre this chapter. And she does play the role of like this figure of horror in this book. And 
you know, she owns, as we've discussed in those Davos chapters, this idea of the Freudian womb, which is also the tomb, both at once, and that element of the uncanny as they descend into the cave while her cave, you know, delivers death. <laughs> and so we get this uh, convergence of this sexual horror right from the beginning, this uh, threat of sexuality. And it's very pointed in this chapter, especially considering uh, how the, ch- the maesters, right, they're meant to be this very celibate order. Yeah, and Stannis's restraint. Yes, yes, and then he's seduced. Right, there's a seduction going on throughout all of this, and I know you'll talk about that. It's something that, like, with Crescent and sort of the sexuality of it, I feel like it plays on tropes in kind of a good way of like Crescent being the sort of like, no, I'm gonna be stand it kind of similar to Stannis. I'm gonna be upstanding and take care of these boys, and that that lady is she's dangerous. I'm like, well, yeah, you're. Yeah, celibate. She probably does seem like very confusing to you, and she wields power that you can't touch because you have no connect. Like they're so lacking in terms of like sexuality. There, I can at very least see how that would be confusing and threatening and like or like frightening to him. In addition to the fact that she's, you know, clearly terrifying. Absolutely. It's an it's an interesting like contrast to like some of the other celibate characters, right? Like sexuality ends up being this very deadly element of Arianne's story, right? When it comes to Ares, who's supposed to be celibate, but he's getting it. Jamie. Yeah. You know. Bet they could all get it. Jamie, Jamie Little Lannister. Um, Out there with his heart and his dick in both hands. (laughs) My god. Oh, fuck, in one hand. (laughs) Fuck, in one hand! Oh god. I'm sorry. How can he hold all these feels at once? <laughs> he can't. <gasps> you have to fire me, God. Jamie does I have a lot of feels. This was no. the last day. I'll pack the office up. At this point in time during the story, Mother. Chloe, Jamie still has two hands. I feel like that's that's reasonable. Yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm. I time travel fetus this one. That's um, fair. That's so true. Yeah. I, I really do also, I mean, we'll talk a little more about what the comet means to different characters along these plots, I think, but Sansa, right, she bleeds soon in, in the story, you know, eventually, and the comet is kind of her blood, too, so you have a lot of woman's blood smeared all over the sky. Yeah, blood on the maiden's thigh. Some uh, as Anya Taylor-Joy Northman shit. Oh, I still have to see that. <laughs> I haven't watched that yet. You gotta Same. see it, I promise, I promise. Oh, I love everything that guy does. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I'm ready to go into a theater and just oh, be yeah. profoundly disturbed and kind of upset and wildly entertained for a couple hours. And also turned on a Probably. little. Like, just a little. Okay. Probably. Word. Electric. Electric. The Northman. Okay, so it's, okay, so it's called The Northman, and it's about a Viking, Eric Northman. It's true, but so, and I think, at the very mm-hmm. least, a shared universe. I think this is his origin story. Oh, there you go there you go it could be it could be a crossover event it probably will be in like five to ten years when they need some dinero <laughs> crescent didn't believe in omens but in all of his very many years he hadn't seen a comet like this one this terrible terrible color of blood flame and sunsets interesting that he doesn't say sunrise they're like the same fucking color um if stone tongues could speak interesting he thinks the gargoyles on Dragonstone may have seen a great comet like this. 
me of this quote of such folly. He leaned against the battlement, the sea crashing beneath him, the black stone rough beneath his fingers. Talking gargoyles and prophecies in the sky, I'm an old dun man, grown giddy as a child again. Man, we've talked a little bit about the, the gothic architecture and uh, especially in Davos chapters when we kind of visited here again, the Hunchback of Notre Dame, even some some little hints of that fleeing around yes. here. And in some ways, yes. it's not one to one, right? But you can contextualize Crescent kind of as a Quasimodo-esque character, right? The, hmm. the kind of the, the person that will always be there. And you compare it to Frollo, who's the only person he believes loves him or that he loves. Uh, and there's kind of a little bit of Shireen and Patchface in Quasimodo as well. The idea of, like, the Feast of Fools, right? The the annual Feast of Fools, Quasimodo in the book, in the books. Not the movie that the books were based on, right? From Disney. The actual books by Victor Hugo. Quasimodo gets made the Pope of Fools, and then he gets, like, almost beaten to death by an angry mob. Um, and there's elements of that in this chapter, right? When Crescent gets made to wear the hat, the, the bucket hat, the antlered crown and be a fool, etc. And Solis kind of condemns him. It's like, you're a fool. The opposite of what Sansa does in the next chapter, the literal next chapter when she's like, no, save mm. the fool, right? It, it is kind of a mirror that Solis is fool making. Yeah, while Sansa is yeah. saving by making someone a fool. Uh, but the architecture is something that I really like about the gargoyles. 12 feet tall. That's fucking huge. That's humongous. Yeah. And bigger than you. Yeah. You're and tall. not many things can do that. This is bullshit. Yeah. I, I want to be that tall and kind of... Anyways, <laughs> we talked about this back in Davos a little, but gargoyles kind of keep demons away, right? And evil forces. And uh, they have a purifying role because they digest the unclean water and wastewater and they keep it away from the walls and the people. I didn't know that. So makes you think about R'hllor. Yeah. yeah. I was like, this it, is it new. Of, some <laughs> symbolism. Yeah, that's why they're all over the church to like be cleansing and to keep people safe from demons. And they, uh, since they digest that water and spit it back out, it's like uh. R'hllor, right? Burning away impurities. But then it also makes me think of unclean, like Shireen. Mm. Interesting. Yes, yes. And the... Living beings covered in stone. Yeah. Mm. Uh, something about that gothic architecture is so Targaryen of, like, stylistically of, like, we're new Targaryens now as they land here. And there's also something about the arches, right? So gothic architecture is basically the opposite of the Romanesque buildings, right? As opposed to the rounded arches, they have the pointed arches that actually hold more weight. So it makes me wonder if they built it to hold more weight for their dragons, right? Because they're not only just practical, uh. you know, they're higher in the sky. And, and the whole symbolism behind them is they pointed towards heaven. We're closer to God. Very Targaryen. Does it kind of look like dragon's wings, gothic arches, given that, like, the dra- the wings typically come down into yeah, points? Yeah, I wonder if, and, like, yes. considering tr- Targaryens were such dragon fanboys. They would just like oh, dragons mounted. Just have dragons everywhere. Just dragon posters, dragon teacups, dragon placemats. <laughs> <laughs> Etsy.com slash search slash dragons. Targaryen Etsy. <laughs> yeah. They have oh little tar- they have like little dragon plushies around all the time. They also have the Hodor yeah. uh Hodor door stoppers just because they're like, hey, it's else. Oh my god. 
Oh my god. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they like saw it. Maybe they saw it in their dragon dreams. They're like, we gotta make that. That's a winning idea. Should we tell, should we tell everyone that it, what's gonna happen? No, no, no. No, that would cut down sales. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, But yeah, you're talking about like the timing of when this architecture would exist. And I do think it's kind of weird or interesting, you know, that Dragonstone... Which would be Valyrian, and it's soon after this. Like this is built soon after the time of like the fall of Old Valyria is Gothic, Gothic architecture. It feels like kind of anachronistic, right? Because, like you were saying, we kind of associate it with this more classical Roman architecture. But it is a fantasy, so they can do whatever the fuck they want. And George was like, "Vibes, vibes." And even if the architecture is a little anachronistic, Crescent himself, his character is acting a lot anachronistic too, right? The architecture, I think, kind of reflects that mental state of his because he's feeling this youthful giddiness at this supernatural uh, and sort of a regret as he feels that his age is holding him back here. And it's quite reminiscent of Eamon, right? We see Eamon feeling this exact same way in the Samuel chapters that we've kind of just wrapped up recently, how he's excited and he's yearning to meet Daenerys who is, as you all know, probably very tied to Dragonstone, to be able to behold that symbol of his family, those dragons, and, you know, be together, family. And this chapter, it, this is also about family. It's about found family and dying for them because Crescent sacrifices himself for the son he chose. But speaking of ta- talking gargoyles, to kind of go on a quick tangent, it does remind me a little of Tyrion. He talks a lot. And he's described a couple of times throughout the books as grotesque, which is a synonym for gargoyle. Oh, I didn't. Oh, that makes sense. I'm an English major. It's fine. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, that you know, Tyrion Targaryen. They say people are on that boat. So, Eliana, you are fueling the train. Eliana I do feel owns that train. I feel that train a lot. I mean, I'm a, as you know, I'm a Tyrion Targaryen agnostic. I will say someone, yeah, I agree with that, though. I like that. And someone on Twitter uh, that I like, Duran Durandon, he posted mm. on Twitter, he posted a tweet and he said uh, he is a 51% believer. Uh-huh. And I'm like, yo, that's so real. That is so real. I'm still in I the 1% that. that, like, I kind of believed it. So, like, I can be welcome at the party, maybe, when it happens, right? But I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I am up in the air on that one, if yeah. only, like, I, in the sense of, like, I don't care. That's what I'm, I'm like, what is, what's gonna, what, you're not gonna yeah. ride a dragon, Tyrion, and, like, I will, I might be, like, per, I might be, like, retroactively amused that Tywin was cuckolded, but, <laughs> I don't know, yeah. that's, I'm more interested, yeah. It'd be just so much funnier if it was the twins. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I that one I'm not like that one. I don't think lines up. But Tyrion, I'm like maybe. Um, I don't know. Yeah, the timeline. The timeline's the big. The time. One. The timeline. Oh. The timeline. Um, the timeline. Oh, <laughs> A maester trained and chained. Ah, like suited and booted. A maester trained and chained at the citadel of Old Town. Crescent stares at the comet. The vents of Dragonmont steaming against the sky. Do we know? Have we heard mention of Dragonmont before? I don't think or so. Or since? Um, since maybe, but not like much happening. Oh. I think in the passing of like in Davos's chapters, I think we hear a little bit about. I'm wondering it. what it is if it is what I think it is, but um, all right. Um, and then a white raven has arrived from the Citadel yesterday, announcing the end of summer, making this omen feel even more important. Yeah, that would that would that would mess up my head a little bit if there was a massive vagina comet streaking across the sky. 
and then also a big white bird showing me like hey um but he's interrupted by shireen and her full patch face who launched a thousand theories and uh Pysel thinks her lord father was king of smoking rock in the great salt sea but king nonetheless which is a very apt description of stannis as far as i'm concerned it kind of is it kind of king is. of a rock but king at this point it's like king of no fun <laughs> but king I I will say uh, in Storm, after the Blackwater, after everything goes to shit, that's where Stannis and Melisandre descend into. And that's kind of the last time we hear about it. But that's where all of those crazy dragons at the start of the dance, right? Uh, The wild ones, Cannibal, Gregos, Sea Smoke, Sheep Stealer, Silverwing, and Vermithor were. So we're going to see Dragonmont very soon in House of the Dragon. And Pylos helps him to his chair, lets them in. Crescent was about 80 and shattered a hip, which I can relate to from my numerous relatives. Um, he'd been ill last year, so he's feeling it. He's feeling a little not, you know, not at his best. So that's why they called Pelos. And we hear Crescent kind of acknowledge that, like, it's not just for help. It's not just, you know, a teacher's assistant. He is going to replace him. And uh, Pycelle is like, well, good. We need someone. And uh, he sends Pelos to get Shireen, as it's ill to keep a lady waiting. And it's real sweet. It is Aww. sweet. I will say, I've literally loved the way that, like, you will not see Crescent. He only calls Stannis King once, and that's out loud to him. Hmm. He does not call him a king throughout the entire chapter in his interiority, and he does not call Shireen a princess. He says that Pylos calls her a princess, as that's her title now, Hmm. right? Now that her dad's king. But he never calls them by their royal titles, and I respect that. That's kind of petty. Right? Like a little bit. Like he's like, no way, not my president. But same. But do we think it's because he doesn't want him to same. fight this battle? He doesn't want him to try and do yeah, this? I I like to think so. Like I think that he, Crescent kind of realizes he's like, this is this is dumb. And I think there's a part of him that first of all, I don't think George came up with this line yet. He comes up with it later on, but like Crescent kind of understands that to crown him is to kill him. And yeah, and others are just power surfing on that wave of crowning him, you know, much like a lot of that in the vacuum, the dance of the dragon stuff. I mean, it's just that's a miniature story of all these power grabs across these several books, I guess. But power surfing, I like that. uh, I was thinking of literally like using surf in Pokemon. When you mm-hmm. get on your Pokemon, you teach them surf, and like then you can surf around. It was like power surfing. That sounds fun. Yeah, like on a Blastoise. Mm-hmm. That's where I was. To, you can go to Cinnabar <laughs> Island, aka Dragonstone. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Get some missing number. Wait a second. I love a missing now. I'm all about missing now. Yeah. How many can I catch till my game quits? <laughs> the world may never know. You're not supposed uh, to catch missing now. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> so princess shireen is the best part of all of this i'm so sad that's my beautiful ugly daughter i'm very sad for her whole like living there with them thing going on she's shy she's sweet she's with her weird fucking cool <laughs> patch face and he's wearing his crown which is a tin bucket with deer antlers uh and he's strapped in with cowbells every single blue oyster cult song that he plays oh as he goes He's ringing. The the onomatopoeia here is so beautiful. I have to bring it out. Clang a dang, bong dong, ring ling, clong clong clong. I will bong rip to that. Um, 
Shireen's like almost 10. She has Baratheon blue eyes, her dad's square jaw, her mom's florent ears, and grayscale that almost killed her as a baby. Half one cheek, down her neck, stiff, dead, mottled, gray, stony to the touch. Crescent would never deny her anything, for she had been denied everything in her life. So, of course, he wants to show her the white raven from the Citadel, and he thinks she is the saddest fucking kid I've ever known. Oh. I, I kind of see where Stannis has inherited his sense of projection from a little. I see it a bit this chapter. Crescent, I think, I mean, he's incredibly loving, right? And where Stannis likes to imagine that everyone has, like, slighted him, is, is insulting him. I feel like Crescent has instead imagined and internalized. He's like, I have failed all of these people. I failed everyone. But I, I mean, to give like everyone some credit from what we see of Shireen at other times and other chapters. Yeah, I guess she's denied a lot. You know, she's isolated living here on Dragonstone, but she kind of seems happy. Yeah. In other times. She's, she's vibing. Like, yeah. She's having a great time. She's like, this is my BFF patch face. And now I have a new friend, Edric Storm. We're having a great time. Davos, do you want me to teach you how to read? Yeah, Shireen seems like somebody who appreciates where she's at. She appreciates, she's got her priorities straight. She likes family. She likes fun. And that was sort of, I like what you said about um, Crescent and where Stannis gets his sense of projection. Um, is I Having listened to the Will chapter and peeked at that and then just comparing the two, you have somebody, the person you, like, you have Waymar Royce who's just like, here's my dick and I have everything sorted out. And... <sighs> Whereas Crescent and like he's he's completely ineffectual because he's too arrogant to realize what he doesn't know. And Crescent is almost too kind and too fearful. I wrote in my notes like the kindness is useless in the sense of like mm. he does it the kindness kind of on its own in this world with these enemies. What I like about this chapter always is that Crescent is very smart. He's very planned out. He knows this place and these people better than anyone. And he still dies relatively quickly. Like Melisandre's like, oh, yeah, cool. Pew. And just kind of gets rid of him. And so it's an interesting kind of juxtaposition of somebody whose arrogance gets in the way of them, you know, managing to survive. Whereas Crescent, it's almost, it's his empathy, it's his kindness and his sort of can't really see past the end of his own nose or through any other lens but his own. And so that's why, like, even though Shireen is not that sad, he's just like, oh, my baby girl. And poor Patchface, who sees just an idiot. Patchface is kind of fine too. And... Maybe that's not a great example, but um, he's right about Stannis, but he also is completely, he can't like, he doesn't change the way he deals with Stannis to reach him. He keeps just kind Mm. of like tut-tutting over it when like Stannis is kind of not in that place to receive that and Crescent doesn't really have the flexibility or the adaptability to talk to him any other way. When you put it like that, it makes me feel like, even though it's not, right, we're talking about them in this parental dynamic, the way Stannis treats Crescent is almost teenage rebellious, but not quite. Right, he's like, I don't want to listen to you anymore, Dad. At some one point, there's a lot of that. There's something later that we'll touch on that, like, especially where Stannis learned some of this from, because he's like, I've been a father to you, and then has no accountability on mm-hmm. Stannis's character. How could you have turned to this cult of Relor? <laughs> uh, and, and you see, like, that tough love didn't work on him either. Right when he kills his other father figure, um, <laughs> 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 so. Stannis's dad's beware, you will die, apparently. You've got some Jon Snow dad syndrome going on here. But Shireen is pretty content, like, and she actually is so well adjusted for being a weird a weirdo kid living at Dragonstone with her fool that almost died that we'll talk about. 
There's also something very obvious here in the new guard switching over, right? That like Crescent is the old, he is the old, the old gods are out, the new gods mm. are also out, they're no longer new, the new new gods are Belore baby, they're hot, they're fire. And the same with the Citadel. So hot right similar... now. Yeah, they're so hot right now. Um, you have at the Citadel, in our prologue chapters we'll visit later for, you know, Pate, even though it's really the Alaris chapter, but Pate, I mean, who's really important in this chapter, Pate <laughs> or Alaris? We know the answer. The crowd has voted. Fans everywhere have said Alaris. But Pylos, right? You have young Pylos here who's like 25 and solemn and he's humorless and, and kind of like stiff and there's no life in him at the very grim Dragonstone, which Crescent is like, you got to have a little joke in you, man. You got to be a little soft somewhere in there. Uh when Crescent arrived 12 years ago, he had served well and proudly, but he never felt at home here, especially now with the Red Woman around, because he was having dreams and waking and not knowing where he is, and Pylos is here to stand against all that, right? Be ready to catch him when he falls and dies, which is soon. As you'll all remember, I'm pretty sure, yeah, we were Pylos, or I was a Pylos stand during the Davos chapters. I was like, Pylos is being very nice. He's also helping Davos. He's helping Davos with his letters. He's a great dude. Uh, but he's very much the opposite of Crescent, right? Like, where Crescent's like, I feel old. Kind of a drag. Yeah, <laughs> Crescent's like, I'm old, but I, I feel young. He's like, what's with this kid? He's like, he's 25, but he feels very old in demeanor. He's the, very much the opposite. And kind of reminds me a little of Jojen, who's introduced later. This book. Exactly. Lil G. Lil Grandpa. <laughs> well... Patchface sings a special song. Under the sea. Oh my god. <laughs> the birds have scales for feathers. He said, clangling, I know, I know, oh, 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 oh. Even for a fool, Patchface was a sorry thing. Perhaps once he could evoke gales of laughter with a quip, but the sea had taken that power from him, along with half his wits and all his memory. He was soft and obese, subject to twitches and trembles, incoherent as often as not. Now that you've saying you're an official girl gone canon, congratulations. Yeah. You did it. You've made it. You that was it. the hazing. You have to yeah. sing on the podcast and that's how you oh, get yeah. in. Don't tell anyone. I think this that's is one secret. of the This is one of the best covers. I think the other one is Noah doing uh the Song of the Seven, but this one was Song really good. Seven. Ah, thanks. This is yeah. way better. We could make a mixtape. Drop we, our hot well, tape. Maybe we should. Maybe we should. Write in. Tell us what your favorite hot songs are. You know, your favorite musical moments. And we will compile them into a great There's got to be an Ice and Fire Con karaoke situation that is, like, improvised. There is. Friday night. Oh, yeah. Friday night. They people made, do filk. Long ago, didn't they make... They made a Game of Thrones-inspired, like, mixtape. I remember this. And, like, they got a lot of big names on that mixtape. Interesting. Interesting. I've never heard this. It exists. I'll link it. I'll, I'm gonna find it, everyone, and link it. Okay. I don't believe it till then. I do. I do want to hear it though, if it exists. Is this just the Game of Thrones Mandela effect? No one knows. No, Did it's it real. <laughs> it's, it's real. real. <laughs> uh, Patchface's music would be great though, as a mixtape, like real, real. Like dropped some songs. I, I did love. They did include in series five. The only thing they included that was good was when Shireen was uh, singing in the credits. May no, it was actually not. That was like season two, wasn't it? I'm making this up. Maybe. I don't know. 
I don't know. It's been a while. But she sings in the credits of one of the episodes that I know, I know. It's like very haunting, very chilling. Shereen was really good uh, at being in chilling. In series eight. Yeah, yeah, she's a creepy. She did great. She was creepy. I loved it. You know, you have to be a little bit, a little just on the fringe for this role. You're not the most socialized. <laughs> not the most adjusted. Yeah. And that's why she died. She's Stannis having a good time. Yeah. Uh, she's having fun. That's why she, you know, she's the only one who laughs now at Patchface because she's having fun. And then, but Crescent doesn't seem to think anyone's having fun. He's like an ugly little girl and a sad fool, and Maester makes three. And Crescent asks Shireen to sit with him, saying, oh, she should be asleep. And Shireen says she had bad dreams of the dragons, that they were coming to eat her. And she has been plagued by these nightmares as long as Crescent could remember. And he tells her gently that they can't come to life, that the dragons here are carved of stone. Well, he reminds her that their island was the westernmost outpost of the freehold of Valyria. And by that, I mean Crescent's reminding us the reader in the prologue that the Valyrians raised the citadel this specific citadel through ways of shaping stone that were lost to modern society fashioning the towers in shapes of dragons to be even more fearsome topping it with gargoyles instead of simple crenellations I realize that's is that a reference to like the Roman concrete that's lost now oh possibly that's yeah. a good that was my question. I wondered if it. What's from? Wait, what's from in concrete? Who knows? It's gone now. <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure, like, like you know how the aqueducts, right? It are so, like, they're still standing today. I'm pretty sure, like, it's a whatever they had, like, a concrete or cement, right? And we don't quite know. I think exactly. It was how like it volcanic is anymore, right? ash. Yeah, we don't yeah. have the exact recipe, but it was made with volcanic ash and like it was oh, like yeah. they're basically like they're Valyrian asphalt, basically, right? Actually, so that obsidian. makes perfect sense. Volcanic so, ash. Now that I think yeah, because it. it's coming from their volcanoes that they lived on. Which there you go, dragon stuff. Yeah, I went because I uh, made of oily black rock. Yeah, I just I was like, do they just spray the dragon on the stone and then they like heats it up so they just like kind of like put it and make it into dragon stuff that's what that's what's in Are they like head. yeah glass yeah. like yeah like well when you own like the sugar. universe i mean it must be fun to create things right when you own the entire universe i mean you have dragons my god you can just sit around and craft with them like that. <laughs> that's the cutest i love I that know. uh they were the ultimate goths honey you know they were they're out there shaving off their eyebrows and drawing them back on they are bicking, straight bicking their sides. They're yeah. like, yeah. Um, I don't know. They were the ultimate goths. They had it going on with this architecture. I think, especially on this read, stands out Shireen having dragon dreams. Like that she is having nightmares about the dragons eating her. She does, you know. Shireen is Stannis claims the throne through Robert, who claims the throne through a tiny little ounce of Targaryen blood and some rebellion. So I think it's safe to say she's probably having some dragon dreams, especially coming off of Aemon in the Sam chapters that really Mm -hmm. screams at me. And if you have read any of the Tiwau chapters, the sample chapters, uh, no big spoilers, but Tiora Toland has a dream. Right down uh, in Ariane's chapters, we get a moment where she says, They were dancing in my dream, and everywhere the dragons danced, the people died. Mm. And House Tolan's sigil is the dragon eating itself. 
Right. So Shireen is dreaming of dragons eating her. Fun. It's interesting the way that like premonition works here too of just like what I liked about one of my, I think, what is it? Season six that it opens with like very old Melisandre. Yeah. Where, like, yes. And I liked the, I remember liking that because there wasn't really any like narrative reason for that other than to remind you that like Melisandre is very old, but also the fact that like there's, it was also just a signature signal of like, it's going to get weird. And I like the idea of there being this vagina comet. Like, yeah. And the whole thing is like, guys, you can't even see the forest for the trees. It's going to get real, real strange here real soon. This little chick is having dragon dreams and she's right about that. Absolutely. Yeah, it really stands out that she's having dragon dreams. And true regarding Melisandre. I I mean, Melisandre is definitely like that in the books. And I think they're good. There will be a reason. There will be a reason. <laughs> we will get that maybe one day. But yeah, Shireen does seem like she's having dragon dreams. And I don't know if it's like her Targaryen blood, but I am kind of wondering. I have a tinfoil. I have a new tinfoil. <laughs> Is it like, I'm maybe so, I'm sure someone else has thought of this, but I don't know who. I haven't read it. And if I have, like, it was in a comment and in passing. And I'm so sorry. I'm not crediting you. But, um,. Is it a near-death experience thing, right? Like, Bran has a near-death experience, and that, like, leads to his powers being awakened. Patchface has obviously had a near-death experience. I'm like, did Shireen have one, like, during the grayscale or something? Like, you know? Did Euron have one? Yeah. Yeah. That fits to me, honestly. It seems like. Euron seems like someone who's, like, into asphyxiation. That's what Danny has. I mean, she has the birth, and she walks into... I don't know, her walking into that pyre constitutes a near-death experience, but she gets pretty close herself. Yeah. And then that's, like, it's interesting to me that that's... Yeah. I wonder, though, I sometimes think that, like, Drogo's death is more the entryway for the dragons, or maybe it's a combination of those things. George, explain it. <laughs> I want some uh, some information clarified. <laughs> I have a long list of questions, and only a, like maybe a third of them are actually important. Maybe I've gotten some answered, but for example, the snails—do they glow in the dark? I don't know. I want to know. I want those Tyroshi hair dye snails, and I want to know. God, Tyrosh sounds like it slaps. I want to know. Can you show? <laughs> I mean, you have to bleach it first. He's not even thinking. Uh, so Crescent tells Shireen, he's like, there's nothing to fear, even though he himself earlier was just thinking. The Red Woman gives him nightmares. I digress. Glossing over that. Uh, she's like, what about the thing in the sky? And she had heard some of the, the people in the household, the Red Woman, specifically tell Selyse it was Dragon's Breath. Uh, and Shireen heard that the Red Woman told Selyse this from the handmaids uh, and some of the, the castle women from Dala. Great name. You're going to meet another one. Uh, and she'll die. And that's sad, too. Uh, <laughs> shit. Oh, shit. Rip. Shireen insists, like, no, dragons are coming to life, Crescent. I fucking heard it. <laughs> and he's like, drat about that Red Woman filling this innocent girl's head with thoughts and nightmares about, you know, things she should not know about. And he thinks ill enough. Filling she's... her head with thoughts. <laughs> right. How dare thoughts. that girl think. Uh, gotta get them out of that, you know. Doesn't she suffer enough? Never ends well. Yeah. <laughs> Hasn't she suffered enough? God, for real. 
He thinks, ill enough that she's filled the head of the mother with her madness, must she poison the daughter's dreams as well. He says the comet is a comet, a star with a tail, lost in the heavens, gone too soon. And Shireen's like, well, my mom said the white raven means summer's over. And he's like, yes, it came from the citadel. This is a great distraction for you, child. And he touches his maester's chain, each link symbolizing all the mastery of his learning. And he thinks now it's heavy and cold. It used to be so much lighter. He explains these ravens are bigger, clever, fatter, cuter, borbier, uh, bred to carry the most important messages. Yes. You guys are serving me like strong Louise Belcher vibes with Shireen in this capacity. Oh, interesting. Yes. Interesting. I I see Arya and Edric Dane as pretty much uh, Rudy and Louise. Pretty much. I like this. Yeah. Oh, poor, really poor Edric Dane. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I digress. I just oh, that's, oh. adorable, um, adorable. With a little Tina hat. Sansa? Yeah, she's obsessed Boy, with butts crazy. and horses, dude. Butts, horses yeah. and butts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that age, dude. It's oh that God. age. Is Jean Brand? Sansa's such a Tina. Oh Jean is Brand. Oh, oh God, he's like, Mom, Dad, <laughs> listen to my song on top of the roof. Brand, get the fuck down. Jesus. This is the song Stop of ice pl- and fire. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sansa's Tina Belcher. Oh, my God. <laughs> Loris Tyrell looks at Sansa just uh <laughs> <laughs> somebody cosplay this combo cross cosplay cross cosplay uh, oh my god uh so <laughs> this borb has brought word that this has actually been the longest summer in living memory it has been 10 years two turns 16 days and now it was over did you know that i i'm pretty sure that the wait for the winds of winter has been longer than this summer i just wanna my summer has been long as fuck george oh all God. right winter's not here for me yet is it gonna get cold i know this is my this is yeah anyway sorry sorry Woo. In time, Crescent says, in time it will get cold, and that if the gods are good, they'll grant us a warm autumn and bountiful harvest for the winter to come. The small folk would argue, I'm arguing, um, a long summer means a long winter, but he saw no reason to frighten Shireen. Patchface rings his bell, singing, it is always summer. Under the sea, <laughs> the mermaids wear nanny moons in their hair, and we have gowns of silver seaweed. I know, I know, oh, 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 I know, I know, oh, 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 am I gonna fade up? I've never thought of it to Under the Sea. I don't know why I never have, but I never have. Because it's the obvious choice. I know, I know, it should be. It was right in front of us the whole time, just like the prince that was promised, you know? Under the snow, Ned. Snow. Under the snow. So Shireen laughs, saying she'd like a gown of silver seaweed, and he sings again, saying, under the sea it snows up and the rain is dry as bone. I'm sorry, I wasn't going to try and sing it. Under the sea, <laughs> it snows up. Yeah, you know, uh, he banger after banger, they all have the same melody, but yet I'm still standing. Yeah. I'm still buying the albums, everyone. I'm still yep. streaming on Spotify. Who also has Girls Gone Canon sometimes, you know? So that's exciting. Uh, Where you can follow us. 
It's a plug, Eliana. It's a, it's a plug. No, it's a plug. Kidding. You can find the link to uh, our uh, somewhere. Oh my god. So Shireen is, is laughing at this song. She's like, you know, she has kind of a filter. Sometimes Patchface gets on her nerves. Sometimes she's like, whatever, this one's kind of a hit. Uh, and she says, I'd like a gown of se- silver seaweed. And he sings again with that snows line. And now I have heard so many people break that down into different symbolisms. And I had no clue that nemones are purple flowers, purple sea flowers. Hmm. And with the silver seaweed as a dress and the purple flowers, it makes you think of maybe Sansa, right, at the purple wedding, Mm. which there are tons of other purple wedding moments kind of foreshadowed in this chapter as far as poison and as far as what that poison specifically does, right? Um, It's my favorite wedding. You know, I love a good purple. I love a purple moment. Such a good wedding. My best reception ever. (laughs) 77 courses. I mean... Honestly... I would go to that. I would go to that prefix menu, <laughs> that tasting menu, that omakase. I like a challenge. Yeah. <laughs> There's something about the songs being connected, right? The next one's like under the snow or snowing, snowing oh. it up, up under the sea, snow up, up snow. What's up snow? <laughs> oh <my God>. <laughs> <laughs> hey John, up snow. What's up snow? Uh, um. Um, definitely some Jon Snow vibes there in the whole under the sea it snows up and also there are some other like coming off that silver seaweed Shireen in a gown of silver seaweed uh, reminds me of like the featherbed song with Arya and Gendry but also like a Nisa Nisa kind of figure right since she's just a cute little toasted marshmallow as we know Um, (laughs) yeah and so it makes me think of Danny too in like the silver seaweed kind of reminds me of like armor yeah too like mm. actual siddle, silver metal steel and i don't know i feel like all of patch phase's little musings half of them are just about battles to come and wars to come you know yeah yeah though but actually especially yeah. the one with the dead broadly one day. Yeah, ah. broadly you know ah. war ah. in general ah. Ah. <laughs> uh. well shireen asks if it will snow and crescent tells her hopefully not for years and thankfully, Pylos appears with the bird. Impressive. White as snow. Bigger than any hawk. The greatest borb to ever exist. Big ass bird. And I'm still like trying to be like, that's like, okay, if it's as big as a hawk, that's like, it's, like, that's between a, that's like close to a turkey. Oh, it's a big ass borb, you know? I'm thinking like, you know, harpy eagles, right? <laughs> Which I've uh, learned about recently. Um, And, and the, it's got bright black eyes to show that it was no albino, but a true bred raven of the Citadel. And I ain't no albino. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's just a cool bird. And then Pylos goes to get breakfast and Crescent introduces Shireen to the board. Interesting that, you know, you have the Targaryens who were a little focused on purity. In their time yeah. at some points, right? But you also have these super white borbs being bred for superiority that they're not just albinos. Like, they are actual ravens bred to be this way. Pure pure bred, pure blood. Interesting. Very interesting the placement that the maesters also put on this, right? That they are also breeding for purity while trying to t- maybe take down the Targaryen cause. Who knows? 
Though they did a good job of doing that themselves, personally. <laughs> <laughs> they did. Grand Maester Conspiracy. I mean, it's probably really a thing. Crescent calls her Lady Shireen and not Princess again. And I'm like, oh, there okay. it is. There it is. You don't believe in Stannis after all. Mm. Maybe if you had just actually believed in him and his little cute religion. No. Which he doesn't even believe in, but we'll get to that. Like Stannis in the nerdiest, most like just square way possible does not believe in the religion, but definitely believes in his deck. Definitely, <laughs> definitely gets led by that, by Melisandre. That is a key component of their relationship. And I have a sneaking suspicion if it was not a part of it, Stannis would not give a fuck about this religion nearly as much as he does. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Some psychosexual behavior in there. Well, you're not special, Stannis. I know a lot of guys like that. Um. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really like the little nickname Borb for uh, the bird, so I'm going to use that. Um, Forever. The Borb repeats after him. I think so. <laughs> Almost bowing, and Shireen is amazed at it because she's never done anything wrong in her whole life. True. And she's perfect. Actually, though. Even. True. Mood. <laughs> Shout out to not a cast. Um, even Patchface joins in getting the Borb to repeat Clever Bird, Clever Man before moving on to a new song. The shadows come to dance, my lord. Dance, my lord. The shadows come to stay, my lord. Stay, my lord. Stay, my lord. And he shakes his belled helm all the while and the raven screams, flapping away in case you thought it was going to be a happy ending. Um, Shireen confesses to Crescent that he sings that all the time. She told him to stop, frightened, but he won't. She asks Crescent to make Patchface stop, but Crescent wonders how in the <laughs> fuck he could do that now, which, fair. And they kind of get into the backstory of Patchface, which really sucks. Um, Patchface had come to them as a boy, and Lord Stefan, who seems dope, and I would have really enjoyed meeting, frees him in Volantis to bring him into another type of lifelong servitude, uh while on his voyage to find Rhaegar Targaryen a wife. So Rhaegar didn't have any sisters to wed like you do. But so instead of a wife, he brings back a fool that he um, accidentally almost drowns and uh, brain damages. But so oh. that's how that happens. And then, uh, Big but and he really played him up too, because he wrote very positively of Patrick's skills, which were many, it's like riddling, juggling, singing in four languages, which is more than I speak. And uh, said that Robert would be delighted by him, which is creepy. And maybe he could teach Stannis how to laugh, which he didn't. And then Stefan um, had the fucking nerve to die as well, you know? So it's kind of like... How dare? Mm-hmm. Po- Stefan and Kasana were like, we're going to drown and we're not even writing you a letter of recommendation, Patchface. But we did earlier, but now <laughs> we would change it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's like, you know what? We'll definitely... Help with my son never smiling, dying in front of him. <laughs> like it's not a, it's not a quit. I like how like it's not even like a sort of. It's not like an oh he got sick or oh this happened. Like no, his ship exploded yeah. like on the rocks, and he was definitely dead. And his kids saw it. Yeah, all three. Mom and dad just all like, three. Bam! But then they get this. The only person who survived is uh, this guy. Yeah. yeah. This is your and new... After, I mean, I guess he's got a friend. He's a friend to Shireen. Yeah, he he's has not... a place now at court. He, he's he got, you know, and he's got a nice hat. People like using that. And the Storms and Castlin at the time, Sir Harbert, had said, like, the kindest thing would be give him milk to the poppy and be done with it. But Crescent refused and, and won. And again, you have that proud wing echo right there, right? Like, you should just kill mm. the bird. 
kill the bird, let the man be born. Uh, get that borb. But Crescent <laughs> refused and had won. Well, what good is it? You know, that's kind of an echo of Proudwing. What good is it for Stannis? It also reminds me of, maybe this is where, not just Proudwing, right? Like, cause, So we're seeing this is where Robert has sort of internalized that value of like, it would be a mercy if Bran died. Remember, he says that mm-hmm. and Joffrey overhears that and is like, you know what? It's a good idea. Murdering my dad's best friend's son. Right? So this is just what the ethos was going on at Storm's End. And so Robert learns it. Stannis learns it. It's a shit show. That's, it's toxic, bro. That's toxic. Well, I'm so glad I didn't grow up here. <laughs> I know, right? Actually, though. I don't know. Storm's End. I need like, way too much validation. I would have been very easily manipulated. Yeah. You would be like half of the reach would be under you. And you'd be like, yeah, yeah, I'll marry you and we'll take over the nation because I am the better one. Very easily manipulated. Oh, my God. Actually, that could be either. That could be half. The, I just said it could be either brother, I guess. Damn. It's too bad. Yeah. Snow. You could pick a Baratheon. We could each be a Baratheon. I call Robert. I would totally. Oh, okay. I would. Oh, man. If it was. If it was. Fuck, Mary kill. Oh, God. I don't know about that. Def. Def. Oh, F Robert for sure, but young Robert. I don't know. Though I don't know that he would be a spectacularly generous lover, but I'm pretty sure he'd be better than Renly and Stannis. I'd probably kill Stannis because if I'm going to spend the rest of my life with someone, you got to be entertaining. And yeah, I'd marry Renly. Seems like he's allowing his spouses to have some independence. And he's sexually adventurous, so we'll figure it out. I would, like, instead of fuck, Mary kill, I'd just fuck off. I'd just be like, nah, I'm good without yeah, the Baratheon like, brothers within me. Can I, I not? Know. Can I not do it? <laughs> I'm going to abstain. I'm independent on this vote, but if I had to... Fuck, Mary kill, abstain. Abstain, yeah. Abstinence is the answer. <laughs> I've seen what what comes out of women when Baratheon brothers fuck them, okay? That is an excellent, excellent point. And all these songs about shadows. Yeah, Ooh. coming to stay, my lord. And back in the present, Patchface is still singing that song, by the way. Yeah. He's still the going. the background track. Yeah, this is uh. the music. And Shireen's starting to get upset, which makes sense. You know, kids are like, whoa, I'm really starting. This is too much. He just keeps singing the same song and he keeps skipping. I hate this walk, man. Crescent comforts her and Pylos comes into this wild scene of just like patch face running around in the background and Shireen like being like, I hate it here. And Crescent expects him to bring porridge like he was supposed to. But instead he's like, sorry, Davos just showed up. Uh, and Crescent's kind of shocked. So He's like, I gotta go talk to him. No one got me. No one fucking woke me up. And he thinks I used to be close in Stannis's council. And now this is a huge blow. I have to go speak to Shireen's lord father. They follow him out. Everyone gets tired of his slow pace, though. And uh, the kids dash ahead, clingling and off. And he descends down his great trip down the Sea Dragon Tower, thinking about how the castles are very cruel to the frail because it's a lot of steps. Goes through the stone drum to the chamber of the painted table. And to get there, he has to cross the gallery, the middle and inner walls, with guardian gargoyles and iron gates, and go up more steps. All of them are a torment. But Stannis won't come to him, so out he goes with Pylos' help, at least. God, that sucks. They pass arched windows over the outer bailey, a fishing village beyond, archers firing at practice butts in the yard. 
The morning is hazed with cook fires, 3,000 men breaking fast beneath their lord's banner and out of the yard where ships are crowded. They hadn't been allowed to leave in the past year. I know that feeling. Lord Stannis's fury, a triple-decked war galley, looked small next to some of the ships surrounding it. The guardsmen at the next pass let them through, and Crescent tells them to stay here, that he must see him alone. And Pylos warns him of the long climb, and Crescent smiles, saying he knows each step by name, and once he's halfway up, he regrets it immediately. I know that feeling. That was me. Mm-hmm. That was me exiting like the metro recently. I was like, I'm going to take the stairs, because I don't feel like waiting behind all these people on the escalator. Mistakes. Mistakes. Me with my 30 <laughs> stairs every day going up and down them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Yep. I, like, on the one hand, do not love living in a lower unit because the ceilings mm. are hollow and, you know, people seem to walk with, like, just, like, iron on their feet. But at the same time, I haven't had to carry groceries upstairs in Ooh. many years and it's fucking delightful. Well played. Well played. Preston <laughs> yeah. would Both- not like to come over to my place. Sim. Both you and I have a lot of stairs. <laughs> I'll host Crescent. <laughs> I'll have some place. So he does take a break, right? He's coming face to face with Davos Seaworth, a slight man with his low birth written upon a common face. Classic. I don't know what that means. Yeah, I was like, I don't know what that Rude. means. Davos okay, Crescent. Has been established. Davos was a hottie. All right. Yeah. <laughs> don't be jealous of his drip, dude. Yeah, he's just a dad, all right? Davos. Davos. Davos returned in the black of morning, his favorite time. Crescent thinks of Davos' great prowess at handling ships in the night, and that he had once been one of the most notorious smugglers in the Seven Kingdoms before Stannis had knighted him and shortened his fingers. Davos says it is exactly as Crescent had warned Stannis. The people do not love Stannis, and they certainly do not love lowborn Davos. Gillen Swan, Old Penrose, the Tarsa at Midnight in a Grove, Barrett Dondarrion has gone missing, some say dead, and Lord Karen isn't friendly, Bryce the Orange, and the Rainbow Guard, who are Renly's own personal Kingsguard, each with their own color commanded by Loris Tyrell. I, like... I when I it was when I was rereading this chapter that I realized I was today years old when I realized just how pointed an LGBTQIA reference it is for Renly to have an actual rainbow guard. And I just like that it also goes with his character perfectly. So it works both ways, but I was like, I wow, that's real on the nose. And George, like, doesn't he say that it's not or that it wasn't intended originally? It's not I mean, like I remember the rainbow, a more mainstream symbol of LGBTQ. IA communities. I remember that when I was in like college, which would have been the like two, like I started in 2001. And that's when I remember it. I remember being like a young woman and being like, oh, I guess I like, I was like, I could could happily wear my favorite rainbow belt. But I also, that's when I became aware that like, oh, it might, that might signal something very specific that is not me. So I can believe by the time, when the time that he was writing this, that that just made sense and not in a super literal way. It's just, yeah kind of funny that it worked out that way <laughs> and, and well color especially right like that's the big thing that i notice here because as you get this whole description and you even later will get the description of his men that are at the feast and they all are in these ridiculous bright colors and there's stannis in his dark brown leather jerkin right colorless and davos and uh not all of them betray him but it's like you can see that like these are not really his people right like these are not people that are like-minded with him they, they are wearing these bold colors and Stannis is in this dark 
goth castle, void of color, void of emotion, no fun. He is now preferring <laughs> Pylos to Crescent. You know, Crescent who has a little bit of life left in him. A little, not a lot. It's about to go. It's very 10 things I hate about you in terms of like the oh differences God. between siblings. There you go. <laughs> oh my God, it is. It is. And I mean, like both of them, you know, he Renly picks the Rainbow Guard, I guess, because of the Faith of the Seven. So both of them have like these like color coded things going on when it comes to religion, right? Like mm-hmm. Stannis is goth with like, you know, the black and the red, which are a different house's colors, but just red, just red. The the religion plays a like a really big role, I guess, in how they're signaling to people, and it's I think we're gonna see again as we talk about all the time it become a much bigger role as it already is in Feast, and will be in Winds. Yeah, that's a great call. The Seven is definitely a big part of that. It's very telling how people are it seems it seems like a fairly like not subtle statement to see like oh well if you find some kind of religion that's a really good tool to manipulate people into supporting you yep yeah or not as we see with stannis <laughs> yeah or push <laughs> True. True. Or how to isolate yourself uh crescent too like he he thinks that renly is immature in some aspects too and that renly's idea of the rainbow guard is very him because he loved bright colors and fabrics and games as a kid and that he would run around shouting look at me I'm a dragon, or a wizard, or the rain god, with his black hair and laughing eyes. Now a man grown. He's 21, right now, but still playing games. Still playing games, Crescent thinks, which is true. Look at me, I'm a king, Crescent thought sadly. Oh, Renly, Renly, dear sweet child, do you know what you're doing? And would you care if you did? Is there anyone who cares for him but me? Aww. Aww. Yeah, the cares for him, here the him is actually referring to Stannis, right? Like, and that becomes clearer as the chapter goes on. It's not about Renly. And, I mean, Crescent sees here, right? He sees how Renly is hurting Stannis. He cares so much about Stannis. He cares about Renly, too, right? And I'm like, is it so bad that Renly said, look at me, look at me? I mean, he was, he's a little like Shireen, right? In that he grew up kind of without very many, I mean... Stannis and Sleaze don't seem like the most involved parents from what we see. Like, is it so bad that Renly, an orphan child, wanted to be seen and wanted to be loved? I don't think he's very different from Stannis in that way, but Stannis had more difficulty, right? Because Renly knew how to ask for love, and Stannis clearly struggles with that. Renly knows that if you're nice to people and if you're entertaining... You can get positive attention. Like he figures out that relationship, which where Stannis is so, I feel like Stannis is always so incredibly honest and is so incredibly like, okay, here are the rules. Like, I wonder if Stannis maybe has a little bit of anxiety. Like his foundational, you know, his foundation is wrecked with his parents dying like in a like pretty violent way, and so now everything is governed by things that are fixed by rules by things and so that gives him kind of like okay cool this is something that i am less threatened by because i understand it and i can control it as opposed to renly who's kind of like all right well if i pretend to be something else and i'm somewhat fluid i can sort of people please my way a little bit or i can Mm. i can charm people into liking me and to getting sort of external validation or love that i didn't really have at home and stannis is i think more trying to avoid pain and and chaos and Renly just Renly wants attention it's frozen because he probably yeah Aww. it's Anna and Elsa it actually literally is 
Expert analysis. Stannis has locked himself away in his dragon castle. He's going to murder my sibling. No, I'm just kidding. Kind of. I mean, it is kind of. Eventually. Shipwreck everything, <laughs> you know? I mean, it kind of actually literally is. Um, that is like the two halves. And Renly was raised more by Robert than Stannis. And by raised by Robert, I mean he was raised probably to a similar degree as the other bastards that Robert had. Uh, where yeah. he sometimes showed up at court to, you know drunkenly reveled and then pieced uh in fact he has kind of the rogue qualities of daemon of daemon uh targaryen right a little bit in that he's the rogue prince coming to his brother's court being able to get away with drinking and charming people Mm. and getting his way into the society and getting onto the council uh where stannis has the other part of it right the more vicious more just darker side of it he's upholding the i should have been the heir viserys kind of side of it this is maybe just because um not just because i lost my dad pretty suddenly when i was about 10 and i can really just relate to sort of the anger at the universe and being like are you fucking seriously Mm. seriously just 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 like there's there's just a like like i didn't deserve to have this random horrible thing happen to me like stannis feels very bitter and resentful i think at just what he Mm -hmm. has been like he's I feel like he's resentful of the job he has to do, but he's also like I think the only way he knows how to be is to just is to just do it joylessly. Yeah, I think that's a great description. He's resentful. He's resentful yeah. of. I mean, yeah, shit's been unfair to him, like definitely, and he Robert's always way more popular, and it's always going to yeah, be cooler he... than Stannis. He hasn't quite figured out, you know, a way to, like, maneuver that. And, I mean, it's hard. If you get to 35 and you still haven't figured it out, like, you've had definitely a hard time. And, I mean, everyone in A Song of Ice and Fire needed therapy. And. Yes. (sighs) Yes. Yeah. And it doesn't help. Again, we have Crescent, right? He's not 100% the best father figure. Right, maesters are good for some things. We'll talk about some other knowledge. Other maesters drop some of our children in a bile, but not all things. Not in all things, right? <laughs> Do they have the right knowledges that you need as a child? Emotional knowledges. Crescent kind of gives us some background on the siege, right? He had talked to Davos and found out that some of the lords had made excuses about why they weren't supporting Stannis. Some lied, but. Davos will bring Stannis no hope, only the truths that he heard, which were that nobody likes him. And Crescent remembers when Davos was knighted after the siege of Storm's End, where they had starved out. And Davos, of course, had smuggled in the food after they had eaten everything. The dogs, horses, cats, everything was gone. All they had was roots and rats, and he was bringing salt fish and onions. And of course, to pay for his years of smuggling, Stannis was like, I must cut off your fingers and then give you a knighthood. Uh, And he used a butcher's cleaver, so it would be very clean. What a sweetie. And Davos chose Seaworth for his new house. And his banner was a black ship on a gray field with an onion. I love this. I love his little... We get a little bit of Davos's knighting scene from Crescent, who doesn't necessarily have, like, great pride. Like, that was the best day for all of society. He probably should have that pride, but he doesn't. But he still is. thinks of it fondly for Davos. I like how... (laughs) I like it when... (laughs) This is actually like I feel like this is Stannis's best moment. He's like, I appreciate. It's like you, 
you stole a lot, but you really, you know, you did make up for it. And thank you for your help. And I see how, you know, skills sets can transfer. But, you know, we got to gotta do a little something so you can still use them. going to leave you your thumb, but I'm going to give you a knighthood. There you go. And it just feels incredibly fair. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's fair or not, but I think you're right. This is like a really big thing, a really good thing that happened to Stannis. Even if he doesn't realize it, this is the day that he like basically met his best friend. You know, like <laughs> only it friends. is though. You know what? It is. Yes, but also his best friend. Oh, like me to you. I mean, it's not too late. I could still cut off your fingers, Chloe. You could cut off mine. I was gonna say someday. Yeah. I wish you would. I wish you would. Oh my god. Ah, <sighs> Crossing calls the truth a bitter drought, right? A poison, and that Stannis doesn't have the numbers. He wants to take King's Landing back, and it would mean death for him if he did. And Davos holds up his hand, and he says, my fingers will grow back before that man bends to sense. It's true. Break before he bends. Davos knows what he's talking about. Yeah, big sad. Weirdly, Crescent knows that Davos has done what he could, and now that he must ascend, adding his voice to Davos's, and he begins to make the climb. Landing in the great round room of black stone and the great carved table, fashioned at Aegon Targaryen's command before the conquest. It's 50 feet. This is enormous. All right. It's 50 feet long, Mm. four foot across, and the carpenters molded it after Westeros, sawing each bay and peninsula out, darkened by almost 300 years of varnish. The Seven Kingdoms, as they were in Aegon's day, that is. A single chair is in the room, positioned at Dragonstone's place. Raised to give a good view of the tabletop, and in that chair is Stannis, clad in rough spun brown wool. Though he's only <laughs> 35, or like almost, right? He's a small, he's got a small fringe of black hair that rings his head. And the, I love the language here that it describes it as looking kind of like a shadow of a crown. He's broad of shoulder, sinewy of limb, he's got a square jaw, short cropped whiskers, and dark blue eyes beneath thick brows, a thinly lipped mouth made for scowls and sharp commands. Sturdier in the front of the books than we leave him in a Dance with Dragons, right? Dance with Dragons, he's a skeleton, yeah. but th- this is like sturdy. He's he's definitely got the Baratheon build. In fact, a lot of mm-hmm. art that mm-hmm. I see of Stannis as well reminds me of Jura Mormont too. Not show Jorah. We gotta purge that from your mind to think book Jorah, you know. It's it's a different look, but similar looks is how I imagine them. Hmm. But more br- brunette. It just reminds me, this description really lands home just how a good this casting was. Mm. I mean, they kind of, they aged everyone up, but just in terms of his stance and his lips and kind of just, I they nailed it. And also, actors. Yeah. yeah he, oh, he was accidentally the best, wasn't he? Like, Steven, he had no yeah. clue. Like, Stannis is an unsympathetic character, like, just because he's a drag. Like, he's not, like, no one wants to hang out with Stannis. Like, you feel, I feel like I felt a little bit of sympathy for Robert because at the very least he was really entertaining. And he cle- he was just kind of, like, running like a battering ram at things and <laughs> not really thinking about the consequences. Because masculinity, like, toxic mass, no time to think about consequences. Whereas 
Stannis had such an uphill battle to climb in terms of, at least just personally, in terms of like me caring about him as a character and being invested in this part of the storyline, aside from just wanting Davos to be okay. And both, I mean, both the writing here, like he, George is really good at finding ways to make you, finding reasons that you can feel sympathetic with Stannis that don't have anything to do with kind of his interactions with people presently. And Stephen Delane was just so good at having that that sadness and that yearning for something, for something that he was owed, for something, for some kind of victory, some kind of win that he felt like he'd been entitled to and waiting for for a long, long time. And it's, yeah, there's a humanity to Stannis that is, I, I think, just well achieved here, I guess. Yeah, it's yeah. raw. He's raw. He's very, like, he is a raw character. Like, you see that isolated, lonely, especially with Crescent being, like, that lonely child, Stannis. Like, everything he says about Shireen is really just how he feels about Stannis. He's like, my God, I can't fail you. Like, I failed the father, you know? Uh, Yeah. Uh, He doesn't want her to be lonely and sad. Like, Stannis grew up and joined Rilor. Yeah. And, yeah, no, no, that's actually a great point. Like, because being... I so isolated, right? And yearning for um, acknowledgement has left Stannis mm-hmm. so vulnerable to being manipulated by people. I, and you're going to talk about that in a bit, but that's a great point. And also, I mean, as you said, he looks so different at the end of, you know, Dance, the fifth book. And a lot of it is because of those shadow babies. And that's why we should be like maesters and celibate. Like Stannis <laughs> came twice in his life. He nutted oh twice God. and look at him now. <laughs> Sex was a mistake. Wow. 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 <laughs> so, Crescent is not happy, right, that he wasn't awakened. He notices that there's kind of a power movement here going on. And he tells Stannis, well, Davos told me everything. And, well, actually, he doesn't quite say that. I'm sorry. Let me recant that. He tells him he met Davos, and Stannis is like, I should have cut his tongue out. That man probably told you everything. And he's like, so let me tell you everything. <laughs> it was um, I think this is sort of like the odd couple banter of Stannis and Davos. Like, I'm going to cut your tongue out. Okay. Sexy. I'm going to cut your toes off. Okay. I know. Is that like their version? Is that Stannis and Davos's version of like, you're fired from the podcast? Is that like. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Like blood brothers. Like, oh, Jesus. it's some. I mean. <laughs> Uh, the the light version of Ramsey and Theon. Isn't it cute, folks? Uh, <laughs> the old ball and uh, chain. It's right? cuter. Is that how he talks about dogs? <laughs> Jesus. Jesus. They're, I mean, they're married. So yeah, that's yeah. real. Yes. They really are. So, uh, yeah. Stannis takes a little accountability, right, for, for here. And he's like, yeah, it was horrible. Davos came back. He was a bad envoy. <laughs> He was given a failing mission. That's like being asked to join a failing company, okay? Um, He did the best he could, Stannis. But the Stormlords aren't rising for him. They don't like him, don't like his cause. The Craven ones sit beside their walls, and the bold ones already declared for Renly. They already kind of saw the way the tide turned. And he spits that name out. He's like, Renly, poison on his tongue. Ah, poison. Your poison running through my veins. Uh... A musical break. Other poison, but I like that one too. Mm. Um, I was going for more, you know. Anyways, Stannis by rights is like, Renly's bannerman belong to me. Renly belongs to me. I am his older brother. I am the king of him. I don't know why he doesn't respect me, and it can't be because I talk like this. 
Uh, and he's like, and I did all the work for Robert. I built the fleet. I took the shitty house. I was dutiful. But my thanks was this, this volcano rock that I live within. What am I, Patrick Star? And uh, the Baratheon seat and all its incomes went to Renly. You know, since Renly probably was the worst off of the three. He, he had a little step up, Stannis, settle down. But Dragonstone is broke. You know, it is broke ass as fuck. Its people aren't really rich. They don't have a lot of land, lesser lords, not a lot of people. They live on fucking stony islands all around him. It's not not going great here, here in the Crownlands. Yeah, Dragonstone does seem like, yeah. 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 He would, I would be love happier it. if he were Patrick Starr. Patrick Starr is having a good time. <laughs> At least he's alone. <laughs> Sandus is, like, pretty upset about Dragonstone. He he does think it's broke, but, like, I mean, honestly, it's, like, what you make do with it. Because look at the Valerians. The Valerians had a great time being, like, not in Dragonstone, but, like, within the vicinity, right? Like, they, they do with the ships, etc. Very industrious. And I, I think this is part of why Sandus is has a very hard time making friends. It's because he takes, again, everything is a slight. He takes it as an insult and is always like, no, um... You gave me a cookie and I deserved a glass of milk. Someone sent us a an edited if you give a mouse a cookie recently, which thank you very much to I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I don't remember who sent it. Um, it was Little Wolf Bird. It's one of my favorite yes, memes. I have yes, it saved on my Little phone. Wolfbird. Yes, sent it. And you give a bitch a break. Is, <laughs> we do. Oh my god. We reference that a lot. And as to whether or not Dragonstone was indeed meant to be a slight, Cersei thinks it is, but also Cersei's also not the best at interpreting things. Good thing we have George, who wrote these books, even though he says Dothraki. In a so spake Martin, he clarifies that There are many different kinds of love. Robert was dutiful toward his brothers, and no doubt loved them in a way, but he didn't necessarily like them. His relations with Stannis were always prickly. Renly was the baby of the family, and spent little time in Robert's company until he was old enough to come to court. I suspect Robert was fond of the boy, but not especially close to him. Stannis always resented being given Dragonstone while Renly got Storm's End and took that as a slight. But it's not necessarily true that Robert meant it that way. The Targaryen heir apparent had always been titled Prince of Dragonstone. By making Stannis the Lord of Dragonstone, Robert affirmed his brother's status as heir, which he was until Joff's birth a few years later. Robert could just as lawfully retained both castles for his sons and made Joffrey the Prince of Dragonstone and Tommen the Lord of Storm's End. Giving them to his brothers instead was another instance of his great, but rather careless, generosity. And we'll link that so speak, Martin. And now Tommen mm. is the Lord of those castles, so suck it, Baratheon brothers. <laughs> Should have just fucking shut up and accepted it. Tommen is king, you know? It, again, it's very Viserys and Daemon in my mind, too, right? Like, mm. that Rhaenyra actually got Dragonstone. Uh, but before that, he was like, you know, go find your own fucking home. Daemon, good luck. You're kicked out. <laughs> Stannis is just really not a politician. He's really That's not. like All of them. Renly is the only one. Russ Renly got the gene. That's it. Yeah. And it <laughs> even doesn't get him very far. That's for sure. Melisandre for the win. Yeah. You have to, like, understand people a little bit, and it seems like, I guess, Stannis... I mean, he struggles with that. He struggles to even, like, understand when people are being nice to him. And Robert obviously understood that Lyanna was into him, right? Oh, yeah. The Baratheon <laughs> brothers are, are great at, at empathy. Yeah. Absolutely. 
Give them therapy. Yeah, they need it. <laughs> Crescent actually defends this, right? So George, uh, George is so spake Martin here, kind of reads through when Crescent defends this. He's very carefully doing so because he knows Stannis is prickly. And he's like, you know, Renly was a child. Robert needed a man to defend House Targaryen's seat in case they came back suddenly out of nowhere. And Stannis <laughs> only repeats... Stannis, like, ignores that, and he ignores any of the logic. He's like, Renly's still a child, and he's a thieving one, one who's done nothing to earn a throne. <laughs> Interesting. He says, this is a line that I think people with siblings, humans that have siblings, if you exist, you have siblings, right, Alex? Yes? No? Yes. Okay, good. I do. I have so two brothers. You would understand this. Um, I. Oh, wow, you're the Baratheon. Wow. Uh, I ask you, I why did the gods which inflict one? me with brothers? Well, you're the fun one, but that doesn't really do much, does it? Yeah, I know. Yep. Yep, we'll see. I, got, I, I contain multitudes. <laughs> oh, my God. I don't know. A little Renly. A little Renly in you. A little bit of Renly in your... A little bit of Robert. A little <laughs> Stannis. By the light. By my side. <laughs> Baratheon number five or number three. God. Yeah. I don't understand this pain as an only child, as the eldest only. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, he goes, I ask you, why did the gods inflict me with brothers? It's so good. Sure. This is uh-huh. is also a really good example of like when guys are like, "Ugh, women are so emotional," and then just like walk <laughs> off a cliff when someone oh when someone offends them by giving them a castle. Like, oh, man cries oh, about dear. pet bird. Man cries about bird for three hours straight. Just kidding, three decades straight. Actually, he that is literally him. That's what yeah, he's I doing. know, I know. Oh my god, man cries about borb. Aww. <laughs> I mean, I feel that. I was actually like, I was walking home today and I was looking at a bird. And I was like, I love when birds are round. That's it. And I was just like stare- thinking about that for a whole block. I love that round bird. Um, <laughs> Crescent says he can't answer for the gods. And Stannis says, maybe then he should send for Renly's maester instead. Wondering what he said when Renly planned to usurp him. And I mean, like, I- honestly, like, this is why I struggled to like really like Stannis, especially like this is our first introduction to him and Crescent's trying to be like, he's so nice. I love my sad son so much. I'm like, your sad son's a huge dick. Because like I know that people say Stannis is intentionally being mean to Crescent to push him away uh, from the plans, the plots Crescent has later in this chapter, but I don't think that's what he's doing here. Right? He maybe is doing that later in the in the chapter, but I don't know about here. I don't know. I still I still struggle to like him, you know? Like the way he says this to Crescent, it's just so mean-spirited. It's so mean, right? Crescent's just trying to help him. He's doing everything. And then Sanders is like, I should just send for Renly's maester instead. And it's just so doubly mean because we're in Crescent's POV. And we know that he's not too fond of Pylos being here because it reminds him of his age. And that he feels like he's being replaced not only as a maester, but also as Stannis's dad in a way. Even though Stannis doesn't get that. And I understand the sentiment of like, sometimes you misplace your anger onto other people, right? But it just feels so hurtful and targeted and spiteful. And I don't know. I don't know. Well, it's like also too, like, I feel like that's sort of where you get if we're going to, I feel like the Baratheon, the Baratheon words really should be like toxic masculinity because um, it's just Great like there are three different brands of it. Yeah, I, yeah like, that's I, true. I think like Stannis has never gotten any, like he's never gotten any 
he's never had any therapy. He's never gotten any consequence for all this bitterness and this resentment that he spews onto other people. Like these, nobody's ever been like, hey, fuck off. Like, I'm sorry that things happened to you. And I'm sorry that you've had a tough life. But like, we're all have tough, we're all having tough lives. You're not a small folk person. Like you have a castle and lots of protection and calm the fuck down and like be nice. And I wonder if somebody had sort of, I feel like there's, nobody has ever shown any consequences to the Baratheon men given the choices they make. Oh, well, that's what these books are. The consequences of their own actions. (laughs) Yeah. But like, that's, that's a great point because then you get to see what that power does, right? And like before, maybe someone might've been there to check Stannis and that might've been Robert. That might've been the other Lords. But now that Stannis has ascended to kingship, there's definitely no one there to tell him no. As we see more and more, he becomes surrounded by yes-men except for Davos. And even then he ends up sending Davos on this faraway mission. And then next thing you know, you're out in the North in the middle of winter and Everyone's starving and eating each other, and that's what happens when you have yes men around you. One of my <laughs> friends at work said today, sometimes you can say no. Mm-hmm. Except not when Stannis will burn you alive, but sometimes you can say no. Boundaries. I have to learn that. I have to be better at that. I'm not good at it. No, not at all. Not one bit. <laughs> I'm, no, it's my boss gets mad at me because I'm, I'm like, but they wanted this thing. And he's like, yeah, that's an agent's job. They're there to ask for things for their clients. You have to say to me, but I but. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Titles, titles, titles. I'm good at saying. <laughs> I'm pretty decent. I think at saying no. We're being like, yeah. I can't deliver this to you this time, but I can deliver it to you at this other time. Which is that's um, good. That's, that's admirable something. to provide like a ETA. Like yeah. you advise. You advise. Set expectations. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when people are like, please advise. Eliana shows up and she's like, I'm advising. Like you wanted an opinion. I have one. Is it a good one? I don't know. But here's an opinion. She's got him. It's, it's here. <laughs> it's present. My God, yes, it is. Uh, Crescent thinks Renly is bold but heedless. Stannis complains he's only king of some rocks in Dragonstone, and he stands at his table before the Blackwater in the forest where King's Landing now stands, brooding over the realm he seeks to calm. And he plans later that he will sup with his bannermen. Celtigar, Valerian, Bar Emin, and even the Lysine pirate Salador San. We are Salador stands. Yes. Everyone, please my remember we love him. Homie. All my homies Salador love Salador San. Yo, I love him. Uh, yeah, <laughs> the only sane person in this whole like, place. Go, <laughs> yeah, dude. Him and Shireen. Shireen's one of the smartest people on Dragonstone. Salador yeah. sounds like, yeah, this is fun for y'all, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna lysine my ship just right on out of here. Thank you very much. He's like, what uh, is the point of all of this if it doesn't mean enjoying like some a- life? He's like, ten years of war, IDK, IDK. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> I don't know, guys. It feels like a you problem. I don't know. Yeah. Yes, Literally, he that's does him. make it a them problem, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That Lysine pirate Salador San will be there with the latest tally of what I owe him, and Morash the Merman will caution me with talk of tides and autumn gales, while Lord Sunglass mutters piously of the will of the Seven. Keltigar will want to know which stormlords are joining us, Valerian will threaten to take his levies home unless we strike at once. What am I to tell them? What must I do now? Stannis is also unappreciative of the people. (laughs) He's also unappreciative of the people who have sworn to him. He's like, I hate the people who have sworn to me. I hate my friends. Ugh. It's pretty different from the lessons that Bran learns 
in this same book from Maester Lewin, who's like, oh my mm. god, I can't believe that they showed up. Wow, amazing. Wow, they're a small house, the Reeds, but they deserve so much respect, nonetheless. And the brand treated everyone who showed up to Winterfell with respect, even even when he was like, I fucking hate these phrases. They're so fucking annoying. He's like, I guess I have to be nice. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I read Lord Sunglasses, Lord Sunglasses is going to talk about Jesus or something. Oh I like that. But that is you it. also would think that Stan would be like into religion and been like, well, he's chill. We'll just talk about God for a while. That makes I feel good about that. Yeah, his uh, he's like decked out. We'll read later. He's decked out in moonstones, too. Uh, which come up in, in this cool. book a lot. Yeah, it's kind of cool. But, like, he's, like, way decked out. And all the finery, you can tell, like, he's wearing so much finery. It's like, yeah, you're not going to last here very long, bro. That's not how Stannis works. This is, like, a lean manufacturing <laughs> environment. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> that's a great point, the though. The, uh, the Stark, like, that's what Bran learns from Lewin. And he learns to treat people with respect. And Stannis is like, I don't even like my stupid lords. They're fucking stupid. <laughs> <sighs> yeah and i mean crescent is like make common cause like just come together talk to renly figure it out and stas is like no i hate him i have bad resentment issues and he's like okay well what about rob stark the king in the north and stas is like no ned stark was never my friend he was never my friend he was only ever robert's friend and his son is no friend of mine and then he's like didn't you know that i sat outside you know, or sat inside while Ned sat outside, loved by Robert while I was unloved by Robert, and he made a bastard while I starved in Storm's End. Don't you know, Crescent? I only say it every day of my life. Robert never thanked me. Robert never thanked me, but he thanked Ned Stark. Didn't you know that, Crescent? How many times have Crescent heard this? Uh, (laughs) I think he's starting to forget it. I'm going to be honest, you know. (laughs) Crescent's got his own like stash of milk of the poppy for just these occasions. Oh my god! Here he goes again. Maybe oh that's god. a little strong. <laughs> He's like, "Here we go again." Shit. Yeah. yeah. George yeah. really lays Ned this Star- out. Ned Stark was outside, and you were inside. That's some bullshit, son. I'm so sorry. Just here, let me hand me that glass. That's Ned Stark. What a jerk. What a big fat dad jerk. We don't even like uh, him. Uh, Crescent's thing- like, he's a nice boy. Everyone thinks. Most people think Ned's a nice boy. Um, Very polite. So it, yeah, he is, actually, though. It's a good thing that um, Stannis is... He's going to get to make his own bastard soon. Ha! <laughs> if someone's <laughs> so against making bastards. Too. Yeah. Again, uh... yeah, don't have sex, anyone. Or else you can be like Stannis Baratheon. Never have sex. Um... So you will get pregnant and someone will die. Yeah, you will get pregnant and you will. Yeah. Um, We've discussed these in the Davos chapters before, but Stannis, I mean, I do think, you know, people are always like, he doesn't really want the Iron Throne. He doesn't really want to be king. He just feels it's his duty. But like, yeah, okay, he does fucking want the Iron Throne, but he doesn't want it because he like wants to actually like rule right he's not after power he wants it because not a civil service thing yeah he's not like i want it because i'm gonna make i mean he does think he's like going to make the realm better and like be the best king and like yeah he does like have many qualifications but he does want it 
all right? But he wants it because the Iron Throne to him represents Robert, right? That's the closest he can get to Robert by following Robert's footsteps because that's what he wanted the whole time, right? He wanted Robert's love. That's why he resents Ned so much because Ned had the one thing that he wanted most in the entire world. And I mean, Robert was the only family he could really see. It was kind of like his surrogate dad, like even though he shouldn't have been. Um, and also brother, right? Like, because Robert was also kind of a kid, too, at the same time. And, like, Robert treated both of his brothers like he did his nominal children who were actually Lannisters. So, you know, it was really it's really fuzzy there. But he was just an absent dad and mm-hmm. brother to, I mean, both of them, to both Stannis and Renly. And you know what? Stannis took that real personally, all right? He fails to realize what? that. <laughs> you think so? Yeah, I I don't know. I, I, mean, don't... I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't know. Stannis is an emotional. He's he's military minded and very cerebral. Because you know they don't get to have emotions. Oh my god. No. Oh my god. Because um, you know repressed emotions usually go really well. It goes so well. Look at it. He's having a great time. He's having so much fun in this chapter. Um. But yeah, I mean, Stannis always has fun. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but yeah, you know, he, he really doesn't seem to realize, like, he, he, again, took that real personally and doesn't realize it's Robert, really, who fell short, not himself. Robert treats everyone like this. And, you know, he, again, he resents Ned for getting that handship because he's like, that was Robert's love. That was an honor. And that's why he wants it so bad to be at Robert's side and to advise him and to have a relationship with him. And... He sees it as a sign of acknowledgement and a reward from Robert. And, you know, in that quest for Robert's approval, he fails to see A, Crescent's love for him, and B, like, Ned actually was like, this is the this is not a reward. This is a punishment. I've done nothing wrong. Why am I the hand now? And, yeah. It's just blinded him to everyone else who loves him. God. Stannis. <laughs> Can take a drink. <laughs> He doesn't really, Water with you know? lemon. Water yeah. with lemon and salt. Of uh, course. Of course. I uh I found it interesting that Crescent actually starts to talk him down a little and he mm. almost gets him on board, right? Like he's like, What if and here I'm just spitballing Stannis, you know, what if you hooked up with the veil? Send Shireen to marry Robert Aaron, which Stannis is like, he's sickly. It would never happen. Uh, and he's like, well, I don't know. You could even send Patchface. And he's like, ooh, that's kind of, that could help. And unfortunately, they're interrupted by Selyse. Selyse shows up and she kind of pokes at Stannis's masculinity. She's like, why would you trust this widow woman? Why are you relying on her? You don't need her. Uh, and he kind of scowls at her. and We get our first real description of Selyse. Thin of body. Face, wide of ears, sharp of nose, and lightly mustached on her lip due to plucking it constantly. And Stannis reminds her that he doesn't beg. And she says, I'm pleased to hear it. She says, Lady Aaron owes you allegiance, as well as the Starks and Renly and everyone in the entire universe. And you're the one true king, by the grace of God. Yes, not gods, but God. One God, the Red God. Because the Red Woman had unfortunately won her heart and soul turning her to Relore, and Stannis says, I'm not quite swayed. You can keep your god, but I need swords, not blessings. There was no affection in his tone. 
Stannis had always been uncomfortable around women, even his own wife, which, okay, to be fair, I don't know that anybody's really that comfortable around Solis. True. Um, Good point. (laughs) She seems like somehow less fun than Stannis. Um, There was no affection in his tone. Stannis had always been uncomfortable around women, even his own wife. When he had gone to King's Landing to sit on Robert's council, he had left Solis on Dragonstone with their daughter. His letters had been few, his visits fewer. He did his duty in the marriage bed once or twice a year, but took no joy in it. And the sons he had once hoped for had never come. So yeah, Solis is a catch. (laughs) Solis promises House Florent her family will rally to him. But he says they can only give them two case words at best. And he doesn't share the faith in her family as they lie very closely to Highgarden. They wouldn't risk Mace Tyrell's wrath. Also, I would much rather hang out at Highgarden than anywhere near this. Like, this is, you guys got to take some responsibility for the fact that no one wants to rally to you. Location is everything. Um, it's everything. Yeah. Dragonstone could be. As is ambiance. It could be fun. They have beaches. It could be fun. They do. If they do, like, they've made it. Janice, I just, you know. Yeah. Solis offers another way. The comet outside is his, unfurling across the heavens like a hot dragon's breath. I forgot again, like how George is very particular when he wants to make sure you know a woman is not attractive. He just has a whole pocket full of details mm-hmm. to put in there for you. <laughs> like poor Brienne is just you just want it like every time he gets a chance to say it. And poor Solis, but Solis is way less sympathetic, so I don't care as much. Yeah. But that's not how that's not how that's not how your upper lip works. If you pluck it, like they stay out. It's not. Yeah. Anyway, that's why people like, wax it. You know. Yeah. Actually, why and- aren't they waxing? I'm sorry. They have wax. <sighs> they have candles. I don't know. It's just one of those things that becomes like the personality point, which is really disappointing because I feel like we get a lot of great Solis stuff in this chapter. I was actually very shocked. I was like, oh, Celise, you interest me this time through. Am I a bad girl Florent fan now? Oh, God. Look at me with my big ears and my mustache. Let's go. I wouldn't mind I wouldn't mind a Celise point of view chapter, just, just out of sheer curiosity. Right? That would be interesting. The A Dream of Spring prologue. It's Celise. <laughs> Celise Navidad. It'd be like the most Karen chapter. Yeah, Solis oh. woke up. She was cold. She hated being cold. Yeah, kind of. She was like, I want to speak to everyone's manager at the wall. Yeah. Which is kind of what she does. That is actually literally <laughs> does. Like what she's yeah. like there. She's, yeah. pretty, she's pretty terrible at the wall, but... I did not care for that moment in the show when all of it, when like when Shireen is like oh, just as you know slowly barbecuing and Solis at that moment is like, wait a minute. I shouldn't kill my kid. I'm like, I didn't... Guys... It was uh, a lot of characterization that could have been done in other episodes to make that moment, you know, more effective. But, you know, I don't know. They only worked on the Stannis side of it. And that's fine because Solis has a mustache. So that's fine. So that's all we need to know. Yeah. Uh, the show didn't even give her that, though. They just made her kind of, you know, hinted her. What what surprises me is like she's presented they as lit a huge her poorly. heretic. Yeah, they did. Uh, she's she, a huge heretic in the show, and she is in book, but yet she's not like she's like an annoying churchgoer. You know, she's not like a like I don't know. There's something interesting with her in this chapter. She's more of a player of the game that I think she gets credit for. Yeah, she does in the comics in the comic adaptations of mm-hmm. the books. The artist gives her a mustache. Amazing, good representation. <laughs> 
I love the the kind of ownership she puts on the comic. Of course she thinks it's for him. Everybody thinks it's for them in this book. Every chapter, like every first POV chapter, they're like, I think it's this. Uh, I love that, actually. I kind of think that's a fun through line. And, you know, we talked about Sansa. For Sansa, she ends up bleeding eventually, right? That becomes her, her woman's blood across the sky. But we're told in the next chapter immediately from a fake pretender king who's sitting in a Targaryen seat, right? The small folk have named it King Joffrey's Comet. Sansa was not so sure. Doubtless that was what they told Joffrey. Sansa was not so sure. She says, I've heard servants calling it the Dragon's Tail. Uh, great show. Dragon Tales. Yeah, Dragon Tales. But Sansa won immediately. We have Joffrey just being like, it's about Joffrey. Tyrion won. Uh, Varys says they call it the Red Messenger, that it comes as a herald before a king to warn of fire and blood to follow. Bran won. Osha says that... Wink. wink. Yeah, right. Wink, wink. Fire and blood. Get it? Do you get it? Get uh, it? It's coming in August. And war. Oh, wait. And, yeah. <laughs> wrong show. Wrong show. Uh, Osha calls it in Bran one blood and fire and nothing sweet. And Theon... My favorite, one of my favorites, actually, is Theon, where he says, It is my comet, sliding a hand in his fur-lined cloak to touch the oilskin pouch snug in his pocket. Inside was the letter Rob Stark had given him, paper as good as crown. It is your comet, Theon. Keep thinking that, buddy. Keep thinking that. Your comet. Yeah. If that gets you through, pal. And of course, uh, Danny's chapters, right? They they say, they look at it as like kind of a sign, like go towards the comet, head toward it, follow it. It will take us where we're meant to be. It, you have Stannis kind of coming in being like, oh, yes, I am going to have to conquer Westeros. It gives me great, you know, grievous energy to say it out loud, but it seems I have literally no other choice than to perform a full assault on the Seven Kingdoms and make them mine with no swords. Melisandre's right. Selyse is right. It's the only thing I can do. Selyse, again, is like, I'll give you swords. Relor will give you swords. Don't worry about it. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, and he's like, well, I don't think that's true. I don't think you can give me swords because he is a logical man. And Davos, he's like, Davos would disagree that that could just give me swords. The swords of the Reach are sworn to Renly. They love Renly like they loved Robert and like they don't love me. And Selyse is like, but what if Renly could die, though? <laughs> but what if he died, though? What if I can make that a reality, she's hinting at. And again, a lot of... Selyse has almost some Miri Mazdur energy here, right? Mm. Picking fights, using the love of his brother and memory of his brother and the hatred of his brother and the love and hatred of his other brother to push him toward R'hllor. Like, well... R'hllor could get rid of this pesky little brother problem. It could get rid of all this. We could get you those swords, babe. Kind of like Danny being pushed to Miriam Azdur with her being like, ah, what do you need? What are you in for, kid? And she's like, save him. Use your magic, please. And Miri's like, okay, I could do that. Haha, it'll be fun for me. Not? Yeah, when you ask witches for free stuff and then and then also kill people. Yeah. Both of those things have zero consequences and really are the quickest ways to get what you want. Yeah, for like a short amount of time. But yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I like what you're saying, right, about the comet means something different to everyone. And it's funny that a bunch of these people think it means something good for the most part, except for Osha. 
who is wise like that, uh, Crescent at one point later in this chapter, he's like, maybe the comments for me and how my life fucking is going to shit right now. And I'm like, that's probably true too. <laughs> probably. <laughs> what you just mentioned about Osha being wise like that, I feel like Osha's house words are just nope. Yeah. <laughs> nope. Yeah. <laughs> Deuces. She's yeah, exactly. somewhere else. <laughs> She's very smart. We should all listen to Osha. Yeah. Actually, though. Crescent, you know, in regards to what if we killed my brother? Crescent tries to butt in, talk him down, and he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. calling Renly's exploits follies, but Zenith is like, they're treasons! And Slee says that Melisandre has seen him dead in her fires, and Crescent calls this fratricide, evil, unthinkable, and it is in fact thunk. We are thunking <laughs> it right now. It has been thunk. It is thunk. Oh my god. Lady Solise asks him what his answer would be then. He might win half a kingdom selling his daughter to Liza and bending the knee to Rob Stark. Honestly, half a kingdom is better than just Storm's End. I'm going to throw it out there. That's or one Dragonstone. Kingdom. Right. He doesn't yeah. even have Storm's End. I know. Half a kingdom is actually a good deal. Anyways, uh, and Stannis says he has heard Crescent's counsel and Crescent is dismissed. Now he will hear Solis's. I said good day. He was so close to getting to him. Like for a second, he almost saw reason. Ah, oh, Stannis. Oh, Stannis. He, it's a great sign right here. He likes to hear not the truth all the time. Right? Like he says, ah, Davos's counsel, you know, that's the, the angel on his shoulder. But Selyse here, she is high key manipulative. Like even the line, oh, so you sell your daughter, you sell her, your heir, that's a Cersei line. Like that was straight up. Selyse has some major Cersei energy going on that I did not mm-hmm. think I'd see. Like imagine Cersei stuck on Dragonstone, married to a Targaryen, right? To Rhaegar. And I mean, she would have loved, she probably would have loved being married to Stannis if she had been told ahead of time, like, you know, you don't have to touch him. You don't have to care about him. It looked perfect husband for her. Uh, hating Dragonstone, having no illusions about what you're getting into. Selyse and Stannis is like a very sober, somber version of Robert and Cersei, a muted mm. version. After several decades, mm. it's so obvious there's no love there, but they know each other so intimately that Selyse is poking and stabbing and hacking at him and being like, Oh, but you know, that's not very manly of you to take a kingdom this way. And selling your daughter, ooh, real men wouldn't do that, Stannis. She's kind of like finding those little, oh, Robert might do that. Uh, do you want to be like your brother, Robert? Do you want to be like Renly? She knows the buttons to push, whether they care about each other or not, from that intimacy of just knowing each other that long. Mm. God, Selyse is an asshole. I love it. <laughs> I support girls' wrongs. And right. Thank you. Thank you. Solis is on that. And like, and the whole Liza thing, it's really funny because he's so close to bending, thinking it would be a, maybe a good way to a rid himself kind of, of her and patch face probably for a little bit. He needs some peace and quiet. Daddy needs to think uh, while running the Westeros campaign and then also making alliances in the veil, right? You have that memory of John Aaron, which all of this wouldn't have worked. Liza would never have done this, right? Because that would just put Stannis one step closer to finding out who murdered John Aaron because it was her and not Cersei, who was innocent, very innocent. Stannis- the most innocent person you ever lived. Yeah, exactly. It's never done... Anyways, so it would be a brilliant move, right? And give him the strength to be a real threat uh, if he had the veil. We know that's the biggest reason everyone is failing, failing without the veiling. But Selyse walks uh-huh. in within a moment, and she destroys it. And it, it, 
we have so much talk about Melisandre is seducing him. Melisandre is seducing him. She's bewitching his spirit in some aspects very quietly. She, as we'll talk about, she's not even really loudly doing it. Selyse is really opening the wound up for Melisandre to pour all the the Mm. magic into. I've been listening to The Opportunist, which is a podcast that's about like normal people who see opportunity and Hmm. become just horrible, horrible people. Uh, It's basically a... It's a scam podcast, but that's more or less the hook. And there's a couple of different series. There's a couple. There's You must remember this where there's sort of like little vignettes within seasons. And so there have been two so far that focus on female cult leaders. Ooh. And it is, yeah, which is just kind of fascinating. I mean, they're horrible, horrible people, but just in a, in a different way than something like David Koresh or something. But the fact that Mel- I'm just looking at this and Melisandre does not a lot of the work is done for her because Mel- because there's already I think she already knows like I feel like she can spot cracks in foundation and certain weaknesses and she's good enough at her job that she can play people against each other and manipulate and kind of get to the ends that she wants while staying relatively in the background and kind of being able around and being able to sort of play off around her play to everyone around her like I didn't do it what do you mean I'm just here I have a dress and it's red and I'm a servant of the lord and it's fun. And I don't know what you guys are into. Celise clearly has ideas. I'm not going to get in her way. She's your, your wife. Yeah. She's very like Missaria, right? To Damon. The white worm to Damon is definitely a little bit of that. And she's kind of very various. Like she's the various of Dragonstone, the mistress of whisperers, really, of shadows. And she's like, it's kind of neat how she's. I think it does sort of like a, it makes her a much more palatable or interesting character to not make her mm-hmm. the villain here. And to like, so you sort of see it and you see she's I mean, she is, but she's also complex enough that it's not I'm not done with her character after this introduction. And I think had she been the one to walk in and be like, yeah. oh, no, you need to like, no, 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 the veil thing is not going to work. Then it would then I feel like there wouldn't be much more for us to explore in this story between them or in that relationship. It would have been spelled out so completely. Yeah. And I don't know necessarily that I think she really yeah. is a villain in the long run. Right. Like she does believe as we read in her chapter, like True. she believes yeah. in everything she's seeing. And it's all about interpreting and misinterpreting, which I mean, let me tell you the podcasts I've listened to, but (laughs) it's, uh, you know, I think that for her, like, I think showing her this way and having her so hanged back and having her powerful moments that we meet her be that more, much more powerful because she's not the one pressing. Like every passage in this chapter, I misremembered that it was her that was pushing on him for some, I I forgot it was Celise that was really, Celise has so much action and dialogue right here. Melisandre barely exists in this chapter. She's but a red whisper on the margins, and I love that until we meet her at the end. I want to be a red whisper on the margins. Well, get oh training, honey, in 400 years, you know. Yeah. Or more. Me too. Could be. Yeah. And she is, she is definitely, yeah, she's definitely, she's got her mission, and she did contribute a whole lot during the long night. It's one of my favorite parts. She yeah, that's fun. true. She just contributed. It's like, girl. Yeah, you could have done that a lot sooner, and maybe got a lot more allies. But okay, <laughs> that's a good point. She probably could have. Yeah, and I mean, like you know, that's the thing, right? You were talking about varies and comparing them, and varies, as we find out as the story progresses, is very much a performer. He's a mummer. He has all of these different ways that these different faces that he puts on to try and get what he wants, and very much uses this soft power. And Melisandra is also using a soft power, right? She's not pushing the way that Celise is, as you pointed out, Chloe. They're they're doing two different 
working towards the same strategy, but doing like two different claws, right? Two different claws um, working in tandem where Melisandre is very much showing, I mean, she's showing power, right? Like she's showing this is a vision of what we could have. This is what I can offer. Whereas Celise is being like, no, we don't want that. We deserve better. Yeah. Right. And, and I mean, the, what I think we've discussed this also, I think in the John chapters, but you know, what's interesting about Celise is she, you, you were talking about Brienne earlier and how George really goes in, right. When he's trying to describe like a physically unattractive woman, but as we see, Brienne is pretty much, she's called the beautiful ironically, but we understand from beauty and the beast shit. She's meant to be very beautiful on the inside. Celise, um, I think regardless of how Celise looked, she would have had this personality. Celise is someone who's ugly at both on the inside and the outside, right? Whereas the Lannisters are meant to show us all that glitters is not gold. And I mean, Celise is just, she's very, she's very rude. And like, I just like, still can't get how she was at the wall. She was yeah. really terrible. She was so mean. Awful. And, and, and that's, I love how you compared them to like, they're like Robert and Cersei, yeah. right? But everybody's fucking miserable Er. but at least shireen's having a good time you know some of the kids are joffrey's having a bad time but somehow marcella and tommen they were having a good time for a bit too and shireen is also she's having a good time and they're gonna die too everyone's gonna die i mean and part of that is also kind of stannis's fault eventually probably later on and i mean that's the irony right like because Solis is pushing him into solitude by forcing him to be a king, right? And to crown him is to kill him. And as he chases that crown, he ends up killing the everyone around him and the thing that he wanted most, which is to be loved. Solis and Melisandre are the hammer and the anvil here, right? Like Solis is literally hammering yes. him into the anvil bit by bit. And Melisandre is that foundation that she's hammering him into. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But he won't be molded. He's the... He's iron. <laughs> Will not bend. Allegedly. Allegedly. He could be bent over. Oh, um, Stenley? Anyway. Are we pegging now? I think there's yeah. pegging. I mean, that is, and that's that's one way to do it without, without uh, a shadow. Then you don't make a shadow uh, baby. Wow, yeah. safe, safe. Ah uh-huh. ha <laughs> Though, I feel like if anybody was going to do that, I feel like Melisandre could find a way to get a shadow baby up somewhere that oh, I'm nobody sure. had seen before. Honestly, that's I'm sure. true. Actually, though, hey, sometimes we tell our cat that he was pooped out of his father's butt, you know. <laughs> that's, that's just the truth. That's just afterbirth, baby. Uh, so when Crescent finally gets all the way back down to his room, he needs some help. He limps there with Pylos, then he sends him away, and he stands between his gargoyles, looking out at Salador's warships and out at the sea. And he thinks, "Would that my fears vanish so easily? Had he lived so long for this?" Same. Every day I say this. Uh, while maesters were to put aside the hope of children, he feels a father to those Baratheon boys, and now he feels like he's Aww. watching them kill one another, and he blames it on the Shadowbinder. Melisandre, the Red Woman, the Sorceress, Priestess to R'hllor, the Lord of Light, the Heart of Fire, the God of Flame and Shadow. He fumbles to light a candle and heads to his workroom, where his potions, ointments, and medicines are, looking for a very tiny vial, a little glass vial, a little glass vial, with indigo glass blowing the dust off of it and taking it to his table, spilling out a dozen crystals, shining like jewels in the candlelight. He touches them very lightly with the tip of his little finger. Ah! Which is funny, because, you know, <laughs> little finger and Olena and the poison. Is it coincidental? I don't know. Probably. 
properly. <laughs> uh, His littlest finger. Um, the god of flame and foreshadowing. Oh my god. Uh, so all the world knew that a maester forged their silver link when they learned healing, which is fun. But no one remembered that men who knew how to heal also knew how to kill. <gasps> Very cute. Makes me think again of this concept of the Pharmacon, which I believe we talked about during our Circe, and by Circe I mean C-I-R-C, the book by Madeline Miller episode. Mm. And the idea of the Pharmacon as, it's a, it's a word that simultaneously has its definition, but is also the antonym of it. So Pharmacon means both the remedy and the poison, but it also is related to the word Pharmacos. It also is a word that means scapegoat. And we see here that Crescent is something of a pharmacon, right? He both knows healing and killing, and in a bit is about to be the pharmacos or the sacrifice. He is willingly giving himself up for his children, kind of like Ned Stark did. Mm -hmm. Died for our sins. A absolutely. Crescent's my dad, too, you know? Just like Ned. <laughs> so... The Strangler was created from aged leaves soaked in a wash of limes and sugar water and spices from the Summer Isles. Honestly, if this wasn't a poison, this sounds like an amazing cocktail. I was going to say. Yeah. It really does. I'm like, is this a mojito? Um, thickened with ash? And or like a gimlet? Yeah. With a little bit of, like, you know, garam Even with the ash, I'm like, it sounds kind of yeah. cool. I mean, I yeah, do we I smoke weed, you know? Like, rim? I have ash in my lungs. Ah. Uh. That's true. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are, there are like um, there are cocktails. You know, they like light it a little yeah. on fire. You know, get getting dragon stoned. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Use a little activated charcoal. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Okay, some charcoal in there. Filter yeah, some that. food grade. It's good for you too. It's good mm -hmm. for you. So now that we've turned the strangler into a cocktail, uh, very expensive cocktail. <laughs> I mean, this is really just mixology, is it not? Dissolved in wine, it would make the muscles of a man's throat clench tighter than any fist, shutting off his windpipe. They say a victim's face turned as purple as the little crystal seed from which his death was grown, but so too did a man choking on a morsel of food. You get it? Because it looks like they're choking on oh. food, but they're not. How Poison. And I interesting. bet nobody knew the Heimlich maneuver in Westeros oh. at this point in time. That's actually a great point. Okay. I love that this is a direct, like, cough, cough. Uh, this is Joff. Joff's doom. Joff, Joff. Joff, Joff. Cough, cough, Joff, Joff. <laughs> cough, Joff. The 20th century Westeros. They're cough, Joffs. Hey, man, yeah. You need what a do you cough, feel like you're choking. <laughs> I got some in my bag. Hold on. Uh, it's cherry flavored. Is oh, that God. okay? The cough, Joff. Oh, my God. I feel the same way about, like, you yeah. Pigeon pie flavor. Um... Wine flavor. Cough chops. Pigeon flavored, actually. Oh pigeon flavored. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So Crescent poisons Melisandre at the feast, happening later that night, and it does not go as planned. <laughs> he hopes that if there are gods, they forgive him. They He really should have hoped they would save him. Damn. Takes a nap. Foretells some murder, some blood. He is not wrong. Wakes in a dark chamber, aching, head throbbing, and realizing no one has come to get over, which is just rude. He's always summoned for feasts, and he's seated by Stannis. His lord's face swam up before him, not the man he was, but the boy he had been, standing cold in the shadows while the sun shone on his elder brother. Whatever he did, Robert had <laughs> done first, and better. Poor boy. 
He must hurry for his sake. Scoops his crystals up into a pocket inside his loose sleeves of his robe, calls out for Pylos, his neighbor. No call comes, shouts for servants to come help him. They will be feasting by now. Drinking, I should have been woken. Still wondering what happened to Pylos, he makes the great journey to the feast, telling his servants to stay out. Somebody needs to get him a room closer to things. Yeah, yeah. Telling his servants to stay. Or like, have Pylos, like, I don't know, have Pylos with a little little chair or something. Yeah. Like the one that, oh no, they don't make one for Bran yet. I mean, anyway. to be fair, like, Dragonstone, that's part of it, right? The Targaryens are like, a bajillion stairs means that we can't be followed easily by foot. And then we can easily get to our dragons mounted on somewhere and peace out and leave our enemies, I guess. Yeah. Oh, bam. I wonder if the Targaryens had like little baby gates. Oh, or, you know, interesting. Kids. And the kids didn't. They come the out with wings. I mean, they should have. Uh, <laughs> I would think. Did everyone? Didn't everyone so, have baby? I don't know. I don't know how child, historical child rearing works. Anyways. <laughs> Still wondering what happens to Pylos, makes the great journey to the feast, telling his servants to stay outside to let him look strong, not feeble. Aww. He arrives. <laughs> so sad. He, he arrives to a room of mutters and fork, knife, and plate sounds, all backlit by one of Patchface's greatest hits and his cowbells. And the lower tables are crowded with knights, archers, sellsword captains, and there was no laughter here or raucous shouting. Yeah, that sounds like a status yeah, party. When I read this, intentional. Ain't no party like a Stannis party. Because they've never happened. The Stannis party don't laugh. The Stannis oh party God. has never happened ever in the same sentence. Never once. Those two words, not even once. Uh, this is like a very sad feast. Like the whole chapter, he's forbidden fun. Fun is banned at Dragonstone. We will never have it again. It has been outlawed. He actually literally yeah. did. Call off Christmas. Yeah, he was like, it's not allowed. And I'm like, the fuck? It's very in line with, like, the Frey court, like, Edmure's wedding, for example, right? Uh, and, and the pre-purple wedding. You have all this headache and aches and the fools with the bells and the, the food isn't amazing, amazing. There's nothing to write home about here, right? We don't hear much good about the food. Uh, no fun. No fun's allowed. And the poison, of course, wraps you into this feast. So very much it reminds me of that. Obviously the opposite. The the knights and the lower-born people that are outside at the fray feast are rowdy, right? But everybody inside is a little like, ooh, this is weird. There's a weird vibe in here. Yeah. I mean, like you said, the food's like meh. And like, it could have been good, you know? They're not far from where Spice Town used to mm-hmm. exist. Could have sold your daughter to the Vale, but... gotten some spices. Well, and like... There's a smuggler who works for you. That's a great point. He brought onions. Those are aromatics. There's a really you got a really good buddy named Salazar San. You guys are real close to the free cities. Come on now. Yeah. Ain't yeah. no excuse. Honestly, yeah, like Stannis would have been happier if he had just instead of trying to build his life, and that's a I mean, that's what's hard. This is why everyone needed therapy. Instead of trying to build his life around Robert, if he had like gone, you know, Corley's Valerian style, right? Or if he actually had gone Damon style without the other usurping part, but the part where he's like, what if I just, like, I'll just make my own, like, kingdom here on the stepstones. It'll be fun. Look at all the fun I'm having. Oh, no. um, he did seem like he was having fun, though. That's but. true. He could have, though. I mean, he, yeah. he that's the thing. He went to that same model, and had he left and made himself the king first, which then he comes to that, obviously, as he goes north, but... I And I think Robert might have liked him more. <laughs> But yeah, he he might have impressed his know. brother big time on that. 
Like, wow, didn't know Stannis had it in him. <laughs> yeah. Really good for you. Um, then I would have moved on to another horse. That's true, too. Or a lady. Yeah. And yeah. Was another t- that man didn't know how to show people love. <laughs> he never learned love. You had to show oh himself God. love. That's also true. He did not ha- know how to love himself either. That's a great uh, point. So Crescent makes his way up to the platform, trying to avoid Patchface. Aw. But Patchface lurches into him and knocks him and his cane down. And then everyone laughs illegally. It's only legal um, when Crescent's hurt to laugh in this court. So sad. So sad. All right, Alex is going to give us another musical performance. Under the sea. You fall up. I don't want to. Oh, 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 oh. Under the sea. Okay, that last yeah. part was um, an improvisation, but mm, the rest yes. of it is true. That was freestyle. Good. Patch face freestyle. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Patch face is singing this, and the maester smiles feebly, trying to rise, his hip hurting like fuck, and thinking, oh, motherfucker, I broke it again. And someone does come to his aid, though, lifting him strongly, and he says, thank you, sir, but it is... In fact, not, sir. It is my enemy, Lady Melisandre. I love the way this is presented, uh, especially because in Renly's camp, we have the first presentation. We see Brienne, right? And it's very coded that she is male by her armor. But the big reveal is that it's actually Brienne, the beauty, under that armor, that one who is just as good as the guys. And here, Crescent immediately thinks some kind lord of Stannis's came to his aid and picked him up. But no. It's his worst nightmare. <laughs> My nemesis. <laughs> That's a great comparison with Brienne, though, because Brienne, it's Brienne mm-hmm. the blue and Melisandre the Ice red. fire. <gasps> the big red. Oh My God. Clifford. It's called a dichotomy. <laughs> Dog-cotomy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, everything, right? Everything's been leading up to this moment. All that shit about Melisandre and all that stuff about Crescent Mule. Like, things are spooky right now. And, I mean, it's all just leading up to this reveal and Crescent thinking about how terrible she is. And, as you said, right, you kind of forget, like, until you read, you're like, oh, Melisandre wasn't doing all these things, it was Selyse. Like, all of it is withheld until this moment. Uh, she's Crescent's final boss, and then and then he loses. Aww. <laughs> she is a lot of people's final boss, Melisandre. <laughs> That's true. That's for sure. The last face you see before you die is her her gleaming. It's not the worst face. No, I mean she's pretty good looking. It could be a lot worse. Yeah, could be Shagwell. Rip Nimble Dick. Oh, Nimble Dick. Uh, Nimble Dick. I miss that boy. That lad. Ah, gone too soon. With a name like Shagwell. Yeah, Uh, he did not Shagwell. If Austin Powers was here, he'd be like, no, baby, no, baby. He did not Shagwell. (laughs) Melisandre tells Crescent to take more care because he's old and the night is dark and full of terrors and we get our first amazing look at her. What an entrance. As ever, she wore red, head to heel, a long, loose gown of flowing silk as bright as fire with dagged sleeves and deep slashes in the bodice that showed glimpses of a darker blood-red fabric beneath. Around her throat was a red-gold choker, tighter than any maester's chain, ornamented with a single great ruby. Her hair was not the orange or strawberry color of common red-haired men, but a deep burnished copper that shone in the light of the torches. Even her eyes were red, but her skin was smooth and white, unblemished, pale as cream, 
Slender she was, graceful, taller than most knights, with full breasts and a narrow waist and a heart-shaped face. A little waist and a heart-shaped face. Uh, Men's eyes that once found her did not quickly look away, not even a maester's eyes. Many called her beautiful. She was not beautiful. She was red and terrible and red. Give us the skincare regimen. Um, Drop your skincare routine. (laughs) I know, right? Have you guys read Gone with the Wind? Yes. I have not. So the the reason I bring it up is that the first line of that book is uh, Scarlett O'Hara was not beautiful, I think, or she wasn't like... I'm paraphrasing, but that is, like, interestingly, the first line that remarks inside, like, hey, she's not, like, Margaret Mitchell, she's, like, she's charming. She's not beautiful. She's charming. And that is what she's really distinctive in the sense that that is what makes, that is what brings everybody to Scarlet. She kind of hits on her power. And that, that just reminded me of that, if only because he makes a point to say she was not beautiful. But she has a power other than that, which I think is kind of a fun, it's a fun mix for somebody, for women like that, who I feel like in so many stories like that, traditionally, you're meant to think, oh, she's beautiful. So she has this power when both George and Margaret Mitchell kind of like sidestep that a little bit and point to power that's outside of your appearance. That's a great call out. I mean, George loves talking about Gone with the Wind and her name is Scarlet. Yeah. Right. Interesting. Interesting. Does he love talking about Gone with the Wind? He mm-hmm. likes saying he likes talking about. Well, first of all, he references every it every now and then, but he loves especially talking about it in regards to the difference of how many children she has in the movie versus the book, and how mm. that has to do with the difference between you know his books that are based on the TV show, <laughs> and it's not really the same. Um, I, I don't know if that analogy holds up anymore. But in Storm, you know, there's an of- actual like straight line. The you were made to be kissed often and well is gone with the wind from Rhett Butler ah. when he's like, you should be kissed and Whoa. often by someone who knows how. So no, you are kind of onto yeah. something, Alex. You are oh, a genius. Yeah, you're literally. You I really. <laughs> I really think that, yeah, oh, you've called out something that um, gotta... George is inspired by. All right. Next time, if I meet George R. R. Martin, met him once at a food truck in Venice Beach, I meet him again. I'm going to be like, so. They did a promotional scene. They did promotional, like, food trucks when the show and when the show like first came, first came on oh, and George was not, like, mobbed by people. And so they would tweet about it and they tweet you their location. And one day it was on Abbott Kinney, which is walking distance from my house. And I was like, say no more, fam. Went in and got some cheese. <laughs> And George showed up in line, and so we like, wow. sat and chat. And I, he, they'd had um, it was cool, yeah, because they'd had the party for they'd had the premiere party for it. This is season one, so it was not like it was a, a portion of my restaurant, not like the entire buyout. Whereas where what probably would have been like later seasons, yeah. And so I'd seen him. I figured out that it, I wasn't working the party, but I'd figured out that it happened. So me and my friend who loved the books like ran upstairs and we're like, well, there is really cool. And then he was there the next day. So I was like, oh, my God. I was like, that's Soho House. And he was like, that Soho House is a trendy place. Oh, my <laughs> Amazing. God. He left. What a story. It's me, George. Story. It's pretty great. Wow. I'm sure he remembers it. <laughs> you should ask him. You should ask him if he remembers it. He actually might. It's surprising. George. Like, you know, you think he might not remember some things. He might actually remember that. Well, then it's worth a shot, I will ask. Yeah. I do love how this introduction of Melisandre calls out her choker and then compares it to Mm. Crescent's maester's chain. We all know, because we have read Melisandre's 
chapter that she once lived in like servitude or slavery, right? But Crescent obviously doesn't know this. This is not something that Melisandre likes advertising about her past or it, it, it would shatter the veneer of power, right, that she's trying to give. But I mean, yeah, the choker that she's wearing is tighter than his own, which kind of starts to hint at us that maybe the fetters and the chains that are on her are tighter than Crescent's own chains and vows and whatever's holding him. And it is so tight that a strangler could not choke her anymore. I love that. I didn't really... I <sighs> love the connection there. there with the collar. And I mean, because she challenges it, right? She challenges what the maesters yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah. What price, what freedoms has she given up to get access to that knowledge as the maesters have had to? Yeah. That's always what's made me so, like, I think referring to our other conversation of her not being a villain, I think that that's more or less, like, there's something about her. She's not a megalomaniac. Yeah. She's not here... Now that I'm now that we're having this conversation, you know, she's not just out here for the sake of power. She's misguided and incredibly violent, maybe likes to kill kids and little brothers a little bit too much. But I think she's also entranced with her own power a little bit. But other than that, like she's pretty measured in how she operates. And you get the sense that that's because like she's she's like, listen, I've I've been where it's shitty I've, and I'm not going to waste my freedom and I'm not going to waste this job. And mm. I have it because of the alternative was me being a slave or something. Yeah. I don't know. There's something that she's mentally justified that you, she've, she's seen some shit and in ways that, you know, has harmed her that she's not revisiting necessarily in other people. She's not spewing her vengeance out to other people. She's to me is speaks to somebody with a little bit of self-awareness. Yeah. And maybe somebody who doesn't want to repeat a mistake or repeat a particular She's never going back to that. Like, she refuses to ever go back to that life. Now that she's finally gotten a little Mm -hmm. bit of power for herself. A little bit of something. And she traded something for it. Yeah. That's really interesting. You're talking about, yeah, I mean, she is kind of brutal, right? Like, but it's kind of pragmatic. And you were talking about, she's not going back to that life. And earlier you were talking about this prologue uh, in comparison to the Will prologue. And, you know, Chloe, last time, you know, we were talking about Garrett and being a deserter, right? Like what it takes to get that freedom and you will do anything to keep it. And that's the risk. That's why they execute deserters of the Night's Watch. So um, is Melisandre's backstory perhaps something kind of like that? Maybe. Yeah. Well, and it's, of course, it puts you in the other eye of having someone who was enslaved, right, with rising to power Mm -hmm. and being able to utilize power, being able to channel power in certain ways that we later will see with Danny. Yes. You guys, you guys, is is Melisandre the Ruth Langmore of Game of Thrones? I just watched the Ozark finale, so I'm I'm all... Oh, I still haven't watched that show. On season one. I need to one day. Ooh. I like it so far. I like it so far. I can't explain it anymore, uh, and yep. I'll spoil the show for you. Okay. I was okay. just. I was. Yeah. Interesting. I think you'll like it. It's a good. It's not as. It's not quite as predictable. Like it. It's came shortly thereafter Breaking Bad, and I think some mm. people just sort of equate. I'm like myself included, kind of equated it, but it's. I don't know. It's regionally very different than a lot of television that's around. Mm. And it's, I don't know, it's got really interesting family dynamics to it. And it has sort of an, inf- an interesting tone. I don't know. Yeah, it's a it's a good show. Yeah, I think you'd okay. like it. 
this whole standoff with Melisandre and Crescent starts to peak, right? Because Crescent's like, only children are afraid of the dark. And she gives him kind of a riddle while Patchface sings his greatest hit. And she puts Patchface's helm on him, calling it a crown to match his chain. Ha ha ha. And the men kind of laugh oh. around him as she makes fun of his station. And he says he needs no crown but truth, taking off his helm. And she's like, uh, they don't teach all the truths at Old Town, old man. And she swirls back to the high table. He follows her to discover that sneak-ass Maester Pylos has been there the whole time. That's where he was. That's the mystery. Up on the dais. And he kind of calls Pylos out and he's like, you didn't wake me. And Pylos is like, Stannis said to let you rest, man. All the knights, the captains, and the lords are just silent as fuck here. Very awkward. Very awkward. Yes, and we get a fashion hour, which <laughs> we haven't done a fashion hour in a moment, so here it is again. Even though I guess kind of that choker one was a little... Anyway, whatever. Lord Keltigar, aged and sour, wore a mantle patterned with red crabs picked out in garnets. Handsome Lord Valerian chose sea green silk, the white gold seahorse at his throat matching his long fair hair. Lord Bar Emin, that plump boy of fourteen, was swathed in purple velvet trimmed with white seal. Sir Axel Florent remained homely even in russet and fox fur. Pious Lord Sunglass wore moonstones at throat and wrist and finger, and the lie-seen captain Salador San was a sunburst of scarlet satin, gold and jewels. Only Sir Davos dressed simply in brown doublet and green wool mantle, and only Sir Davos met his gaze with pity in his eyes. So sad. What a fashion moment, though. His whole court is so fashionable. It's so not him. Very well dressed. And to VH1, where are they now, real quick? Celtigar bends the knee after Blackwater, right, to the Lannisters. Monford Valerian dies, and his half-brother, Orain, is captured in King's Landing and bends the knee. Later, he demons the Stepstones a little bit, and they have a boy lord, uh, Monteris, sitting at Driftmark, who still kind of supports Stannis. Lord Bar Emin is one of the few remaining loyal houses... Lord Sunglass, well, you know what happens when sun goes through glass? It burns you up, you know, if you just focus. Ooh. Lord Sunglass, well, that's what happens to him. He burns. Uh, Axel's still around, but he's still really annoying. And Salador's been like, fuck off, Stannis, he's out. So interesting kind of split there. You got pretty much half and half of who's still supporting, who's dead, who's around. Uh, if you're looking at the album art, for this episode, you'll see that most of these lords are there. I, I challenge you to pick them out. I, I had some fun. I made sure that we had all the different lords. But I love the color. He has all the colors. It, honestly, it kind of reminds me of that uh, Illyrio quote when he has the rings, right? With the, the Dance of the Dragons kind of imagery going on of how the, the gems are all dancing. Mm. The green to black, the jade, the green to the red. Uh, it feels like that. He has all these colors mm. dancing around behind him. And yet he thinks he and Renly are so different. <laughs> Not at all. Well, Stannis calls Crescent sick and confused and of no use to him and says, mm. Pylos will counsel him <gasps> henceforth. We have this super, super sad line. For Also, this is the most emotionally vulnerable any dude in this series ever is, like outside of maybe John. <laughs> at least in my recollection of how having read this in a while. <laughs> this is vulnerable. Stannis, my lord. My sad, sullen boy, son I never had, you must not do this. Don't you know how I have cared for you, lived for you, loved you despite all? 
yes, loved you better than Robert even or Renly, for you were the one unloved, the one who needed me most. <laughs> it's like here. so sad because just like we've been saying, like there's that reliability <laughs> of narration going on that like the boy Stannis was versus the man he became. He doesn't seem to have been that much less prickly as a boy, as we've heard tonight, right? Like, he, he was just as much a middle child then as he is now. Crescent saw it then and didn't know how to deal with it, and he sees it now, and he obviously, quite obviously, does not know how to deal with it. <sighs> yeah. I guess it's been hard for him, right? Like, how does he show his affection in that way? He's he's quite open with Shireen, and we see him show that towards Shireen, but I think... Uh, you know, I think of it in the context of the discussion the whole series is having about Maesters, right? In the first book, Catelyn's like, I don't give a shit if Lewin sees me naked. He's already, like, helped me birth my children. He's part of this family. And we see Lewin show that he's part of this family. He dies, like, you know, in this mm -hmm. book, kind of defending his lords. He loves he loves those kids. He loves the Starks like his family. Same as Crescent. And you contrast that with the way Barbary Dustin is like, I don't trust any of these maesters. We let them into their our homes. We let them into our families. And like, what are they plotting? And some of them are probably plotting some things. But as we see, there is a genuine affection from some of them. Right? And it's so sad. Ugh! Crescent! Crescent! What's it just... Oh, just... Stannis. He's risking it all. Aww. He actually is, though. Anyway, Crescent accepts his fate glumly and makes one request to be fed and have a seat at Stannis' table. And Stannis, I, I guess he hesitates. And Sir Davos, who's the only true knight amongst all of them, rises and says he hmm. would be honored to have the maester sit with him. And Stannis allows it and turns to say something to Melisandre, who is in her place of honor at Stannis' right hand and sleeves at his left. And half of the bannermen are between the smuggler and Melisandre, and Crescent's like, too far, I have to get closer. But how? Meanwhile, Patchface has come to regale them with, here we eat fish under the sea, the fish eat us. It sounds like an internet meme, and I don't feel like referencing it right now in these times, but... Yeah, there's something biblical there, right? Like, in can I eat at your table? Uh, and it's almost, you know, also it's hospitality, it's the laws mm. of hospitality, like he's asking... For hospitality, yeah. as we learn, that's his salt, his bread. Let me eat your food at your table so I know that you are protecting me. I'm under your protection. Uh, but it's also biblical, right? Like, whoever is hungry, let him eat in this house, let, lest you be assembling for condemnation. But concerning the rest, when I come, I shall give you orders. It's very biblical, very much like that's my God. Stannis is my God. Not R'hllor. You know, the truth and Stannis, my God. Uh. yeah it's funny because uh you're likening crescent to that but that's definitely i mean that's davos's story too right as we've discussed he's like stannis is my guy. yeah i mean crescent is also like he's the betrayer he has to judas this shit you know he's like i'm sorry i had to do this to you stannis but i had to kill your gods in front of you just get rid of them and then he dies instead and he's like well fuck <laughs> yeah yeah and, and okay so half the bannermen are between the smuggler and melisandra and i'm sure this is what uh during the purple wedding i'm almost sure this is what garland or olena were thinking probably how do i get closer how do i get my ass closer to poison him or her sorry 
Uh, and meanwhile, Patchface is singing. You know, he does the here we eat fish under the sea, the fish eat us song. And Davos is kind of gloomy to Crescent when Crescent comes to sit by him. He makes room and he's like, we should be in Motley. We're fools. Uh, and Crescent is fingering his crystals in his pocket. I'm like, girl, is it Amethyst? No, it's the Strangler. He speaks up to Lord Stannis and he's like... I want you to make common cause with the Starks and Aarons. And Stannis is like, no. And Selyse is like, yeah, I agree. No. Boo. Boo. <laughs> and this is where the tomfoolery starts. Shut up, yeah. Selyse. <laughs> yeah. Shut he up. almost had it, you know, almost had him. And Stannis like gives this big speech. He's like, they're all usurpers, Starks, Lannisters, all enemies. And Crescent's like, wow, I have lost him. He tells Stannis, you're the rightful heir to Robert, but you you need allies, man. You need friends. And Selyse is like, Relor is his ally, LMAO. <laughs> <laughs> uh, God. Oh, God. Crescent's like, Relor has no power here. And Melisandre challenges this. And she's like, well, you should wear Patchface's crown again. And Selyse is like, yeah, put on the crown, old man. And Patchface sings, under the sea, no one wears hats, especially not north of the wall, which we see is a problem, right? There's a lot of frostbite. A lot. No hats. Yep. Where are their hats? Where are their ears? Yeah. If you like your ears, yeah. wear a hat. Wear a hat. <sighs> yeah, absolutely. And um, it's big sad, right? Everything just gets way more sad from here on out, right? Lord Stannis commands Patchface to give his helm to Crescent, and the maester thinks that this is not him. His son has never been cruel. He was hard, but not cruel, and he never mocked. And I'm like, I don't know, I've read these books, and Stannis has mocked a lot of people. Like, I remember him, <laughs> I remember him coming for it, and that was actually a great note, right? You know, I, he came for Jano Slint. He came for Jano Slint. Good times, good times. Everyone loves it. Big hit. Anyways, and then... Selyse recommends that Crescent sing his counsel from now on, just like Patchface. And Stannis is like, no, that has gone too far. You have gone too far. And this man has served Stannis well. And then Crescent thinks like, and I will serve you to the last, my sweet lord, my poor lonely son, Crescent thought. For suddenly, he saw the way. Crescent takes Davos's cup, putting hard flakes of crystals into it and knows that Davos saw, but no one else does. It's fine. He raises a cup to Melisandre in honor of the Lord of Light and his power, and Davos tries to stop him, but Crescent says he must do this for the sake of the realm and the soul of his lord. Alex, you're going to take us out. Play us out, keyboard cat. Keyboard cat. <laughs> I like it. I'll take yeah, it. Man. New screen name. Caught it. <laughs> Melisandre of Ashai took the cup from his hands and drank long and deep. There was only half a swallow of wine remaining when she offered it back to him. And now you. His hands were shaking, but he made himself be strong. And this is where I don't know why he didn't put a little sponge under his chin like they do in a bunch of other fairy tales. Oh, just, like, zips out, but the no. magic is ruined. The illusion anyway. is shattered. I had no clue. What the fuck? <gasps> And now you, his hands were shaking, but he made himself be strong. A maester of the citadel must not be afraid. The wine was sour on his tongue. He let the empty cup drop from his fingers to shatter on the floor. He does have power here, my lord, the woman said. And fire cleanses. At her throat, the ruby shimmered redly. Crescent tried to reply, but his words caught in his throat. 
His cough became a terrible thin whistle as he strained to suck in air. Iron fingers tightened around his neck. As he sank to his knees, still he shook his head, denying her, denying her power, denying her magic, denying her god. And the cowbells pealed in his antlers, singing fool, 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 while the red woman looked down on him in pity, the candle flames dancing in her red, red eyes. That's how you open and close the first chapter of the book, dude. That is shit. That's a chapter and a half. That's like some podcasts would argue it's like four chapters. <laughs> okay, it was like 30 pages. It was, it's like a legitimately long ass yeah, chapter. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's like there's a lot. All to Melisandre's just epic yeah. mic drop. Well, and that's yeah. what's so great, right? About that silence, that buildup, that terrible force of nature. Like, she's the harbinger of doom to Dragonstone. She's actually smart. She's not like Solis, who's loud and showy and mouthy in how she pokes. Melisandre mm-hmm. is the smart, quiet one who listens and reads and waits and interprets. And you watch this whole chapter unfold of Stannis as this broken-hearted man right this isolated lonely broken-hearted man and Selyse's machinations are overbearing and then Melisandre clad in red and all she does is approach and it all falls apart that's her power that's her nature and it's really unnerving uh, a couple of people in our discord were chatting about it too our friend Amy I think mentioned later with the epilogues you have Stoneheart her eyes saw and they hated mm. talk about a silent mm. woman yeah, especially with the reference to stone tongues earlier in the chapter. Oh. Hmm. Yeah, I... I mean, again, not the worst face, but maybe for a crest on the worst face, you can see as he does, but ain't no shadow. <laughs> but absolutely. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a great way that he sets up, like you said, Melisandre is this like, figure of doom and horror and then we get that subverting of things later in the fifth book but i i don't know i just feel so sad for crescent and you know the last acts of his they feel very important to the themes of this series right when it comes to sacrifice especially sacrifice i mean sacrifice is a big part of sandus's story let's be real because he's going to sacrifice his daughter and it's kind of sacrifice he's already sacrificed his brother right like kinsling obviously is not out of the question and what what makes it so important with crescent's story though is he's willing to do it himself it's an act of love it's an act of bravery in a way you know um he's not imperiling anyone else he's taking the risk on entirely you know except for the part where he's trying to also kill melisandre um, so if you ignore the part where he's trying to kill someone else, but you can in that way kind of liken it to Waymar Royce, right? He knows it's absolutely hopeless and he stands up and does it anyway. It's kind of like Ned Stark, again, sacrificing himself for he his daughters, his children, Crescent sacrificing himself for his son here. And it's, you know, kind of like Sam and Small Paul risking their lives for, you know, their found family, their brothers at the wall, later Gilly and the babe. But unfortunately, the catch is Crescent in his final act to try and save his son by dying leaves him even more isolated and alone and therefore vulnerable to being manipulated. 
it's interesting how they really draw out like it's such an effective chapter on so many levels like not the least of which logistically like in this you know exactly like, there are a bunch of new pieces on the board and now you know exactly how they're arranged you know what Stannis is and who he is and what he's willing to do you know the function Celise serves in that relationship you know what Melisandre's up to or at least the fact that her intentions are likely not to be trusted and Stannis is right for her manipulations and we don't know what her purposes are so she's not yeah. really someone we can trust yeah and you have Stannis who is the opposite of that. And this is now this team that's moving into, and it's like, he just arranges the pieces so beautifully and so smartly of just being, I'm like, which is, this is a pilot episode. Not easy to do. You got a lot to do. It's hard to do it in an artful way. There's a comet and everything. Just a great chapter. Yeah, all the elements hang in the air, right? Like, and there's something to it, though, not to devil's advocate here and be that other side of it, but I don't know necessarily... Obviously, what Crescent is doing is he's like old man going out in winter kind of thing, right? He's like, oh, winter is coming. Yeah, this is my yes, one absolutely. big moment. He Wyman's it, right? We know where Wyman is right now at the end of the story, hanging yeah. out, half dead, half alive. You know, someone let that man off the hook because he has just been almost dead for a long time. Uh, George, looking at you, buddy. But <laughs> Crescent, like, it's the same kind of thing. However, to me, I'm like watching it and I'm like, damn. Crescent, you saw this coming. Like you, you should have known. Like there's no way you could overcome this. And yes, I think like from some point, it's very brave of him to do this thing since it it was his one last hope, one last hitch. But at the same time, couldn't you have had better? Well, no. I mean, his body's failing, which I feel that to the extreme. Because someday it's all over for me. But like you know, he he feels like he has no use left. But doesn't he have more use as counsel? Maybe not. You know, maybe not. Maybe this was the best way for him to go out. But it's just interesting to me. I'm like, that's such a kamikaze suicide mission, right? To go after Melisandre, who has some sort of dark force that is giving you nightmares on her side. I guess it shuts the nightmares up one way or another. But I'm like, damn, Crescent, you didn't have to go out like that. You could have still tried. And also the problem doesn't seem to lie in like Melisandre. The problem lies in that like... Stannis was very easy to manipulate into all this in the first place. Yeah, I guess, like, I don't know. He he didn't plan. He did not plan to die. He had a plan to only murder. But he should have had a little foresight, is all. Well, Carson's a teacher, not a fighter. Yeah. Like, the maesters are... None of those, none of those chains are for, like, combat and yeah. or wiles. Those links on those chains. They're for, he knows how to make the poison, but there's a whole other game. And it's like me. I was an actor. It's very good. It's very, very good at acting. But there's a whole other business and world that has nothing to do with that that I was not good at, which is fine. <laughs> it's great. But that's a really good point. Because you look at like the other that. prologue, the uh, Citadel prologue, and you have Pate, right? Who's not really street smart. Mm. Not very street savvy, you could say, no. after his little ordeal, his little chapter. No. Uh, and he dies, yeah. too, because they all fucking die in the prologues. Yeah. But spoiler... Uh, but he dies too for not being savvy in those kind of realms and yeah I don't know I don't know if I necessarily think it was like a brave brave choice or a good choice but I, I maybe it was the only choice I don't know if it, I mean it's obviously sure. not the only choice he could have stayed in bed which is what I would have mm-hmm. chosen but um, as you know <laughs> you know he's like why didn't you wake me for the party I've been like yeah oh, you love God. that shit um, but me- me nap. men's <laughs> lives me have nap. meanings not their deaths so yeah that's the other part of it. And I guess that's kind yeah. of what's going on here. There's like, you know, you're talking about biblical stuff. There's a little bit of that too. You know, Jesus is like to God, take this cup of, away from me. And Crescent's like, I guess I got to take it. I got to like take Ned, the cup. I didn't ask for this cup to pass uh, to me. 
Stannis, same way. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, I guess I didn't ask for this. And it's like, but you kind of did. Um, you did drink it. And everyone's like, told you not to do it, dude. Davos, like, don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Stannis, don't do it. That's why, yeah. But you were saying, you know, he didn't have any foresight and the smarts and paid. And I mean, you know, Crescent just should have had, like, the foresight to not be a prologue POV. <laughs> Like, if he were smarter, he would have just simply not been our POV, and he would have survived. Alas. Or at least had a better chance of surviving. That's so true. Yes. Yes. I feel like I'm going to wake up one day and realize I'm in a Game of Thrones prequel. God damn it. That's... And it's going to be like that movie Palm Springs, and I'm just going to keep trying to get out of it. It's just going to put me right back You get to the end of the chapter, and you're like, oh no, I'm a prologue character. How could this have happened to me? I thought I was the protagonist, not the prologonist. Oh no! I wanted to see a shine. <laughs> uh, what do you guys think? Last thoughts on Crescent before we yeah. dish him. I mean, we don't even know what they did with his body. What they? That's a great point. It, what the kindling? They, I think they put him in the sea and the yeah. fish. Oh, ate under him. oh, the fish and the fish turned to the and the turned to fish. Uh. yeah. And oh. also some stone heart in there, right? Under the sea, the fish above yeah. the sea. Yep. Them fish be mm-hmm. changing. They be getting undead. Yeah. Fish you know, it's a fishy fish world. Just like Patrice came back as a different person. They're like, uh. I kind of think a lot of them are features. You know, not bugs. I like them. Yeah. He seems like he's having fun. I don't know. Shireen's having fun. We should all be highly <laughs> clever and die and come back. Smartest person. Oh. Evolve. That is, I will say that Game of Thrones does not necessarily reward cleverness and uh, optimism. No. See. That's true. Season five. And if you want to <laughs> catch up on that, if you want to revisit season five, which I don't think anyone says that often or fondly, but if you so wanted to, a great place to go would be the Got Thrones question mark podcast. You know, I I've I lived out yeah. some good episodes, relived some of those, listened to them. They are fun. They're very fun. You two are silly. Yeah, we try. Yeah, I had a lot of fun. Oh no, did we? Oh no, we did. We do still host it. I had a lot of fun oh, with yeah. that logo, the color blocking. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm a graphic designer. You know, for a I uh, I'm back at The Walking Dead, uh, rewatching, and I got to get on your talk. Mm. Uh, what is it? Talk Dead to Me? Is that the podcast? I got to go listen oh, to some to episodes. Me? I'm at a dead rewatch. Yes. We're not doing it anymore, or at least I'm not. I've uh, I've been thinking I got to start something to listen to a couple episodes. So that and uh, our good friend Tara over at Geek Saga, Saga and Sass, she's doing uh, the Bitching Dead they do, which is a good web stream. It's very fun. Hmm. Just bitch about The Walking Dead, and I think that sounds good. Ooh. We have a digital YouTube channel that likes to, you know. Talk to Walking Dead influencers. So yeah, let me know. I'm very in right now. My husband has not has not watched all of it. He's he's seen some moments only. So this has been really fun. Uh, Not to spoil, but we just went past Terminus. We got past it. So we're in season five, mid season five. Things are starting to really 
Cannibal Tasha Yar. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot happening. So he's having a blast. He loves horror. So I love the uh, touching in on The Walking Dead with you. I got to check in on that because some of those good episodes sound good. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm happy to be your, your <laughs> Walking Dead representative in any capacity. Skybound's first audible fiction, audio fiction, was released. And it's called Impact Winter. And it is a post-apocalyptic vampire thriller starring Holiday Granger, Esme Creed Miles, Hamesh Patel, and Liam Cunningham, and a little bit of Bella Ramsey. Because if you give me power, I'm going to hire people I admire. Yes. It's pretty cool. Liam Cunningham is the nicest person oh. you will ever meet. Impact That's so Winter. Sent me, sent me an email once. I'm pretty sure I've it's seen really, ads yeah. for it, and it looks really good. Like I, I, There are ads, right? Like That's the ads that I'm seeing. Because I'm like, this seems targeted to me? <laughs> there were ads on there they've done tv spots like my mom yeah. saw one ahead of american idol and like i don't have i don't have i don't i cut the cord i can't see it anymore but i did hear one on hulu when i was in the shower and i like ran out of the bathroom well like, oh! eliana you have to wa- you have hulu, to listen yeah. in because it has uh the writer of pacific rim is one of the exact producers. yes, yes. that's right that it's is and I, I do love I do love it's her favorite thing i'm not kidding uh, it's actually literally one of my top five movies. She loves it. <laughs> oh my gosh! All right, I'm gonna send him this clip. <laughs> okay. um, yeah, we got to get Eliana listening. <laughs> no, it really, no, it really is. Like, I, I have, I've, I talk about this. I've watched that movie. I don't know. I know people have watched it more than me, but I've definitely watched it like at least four times. Uh, um, it's well. That's the thing that I like about like I like about audio and I like about yeah. Travis a whole lot is that he like he like Pacific Rim was one of the first like original movies that I had seen in a long long time and I loved just how like it's like oh this is a story that I don't have a frame of reference for and he's kind of done I like a lot of vampire mythology and lore I've seen and read a ton of stuff just as a kid because they're cuter than werewolves and I'm a cat person they kind of go together and it was fun during the first season when we were doing we were reviewing scripts and doing notes calls like just kind of having fun reading I'm like oh this is like a whole different kind of vampire mythology Mm. and the references are kind of interesting and it has it the lore is not necessarily back in like the sort of traditional like Eastern Europe, Transylvania, Dracula stuff. He's pulling from a couple of different mythologies. So um, it's a fun exploration. I much like it. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, uh, I know that it's available wherever Audible you listen to podcasts. Hosting, hosting that, right? Like that's through Audible or? It's yeah, anywhere? so we have... Um, yeah, that was, that was... I kind of lost my brain on that. But they liked this one so much that they were like, well, yes. we're going to release it wide. And put a ton of marketing money behind it and stuff like that, which for audio fiction, I was, I'm happy to do whatever work I get, but I also am like, Americans don't have a massive appetite for audio fiction. It's just not quite, it's not the same as it is in like the UK, but if you have, but like Americans like marketing and fun stuff. And so to have like, to have the company be like, all right, we're going to push, we're going to help you with discoverability. You guys make something good and we'll make sure everybody knows about it. That was I was humbled by that. That was cool as fuck. Besides that, where else can everyone at home find you online lately? Where uh, your Twitter, all that good stuff, where can they follow those those spicy tweets that the director mm. posts? Spicy tweets. <laughs> uh, my spicy Star Trek tweets, which is mostly what I'm talking about these days. Um, I am at ALX August across all platforms so um i'm most active on twitter so if you like if if you like me blathering on about pop culture and whatnot that is where i would point you if you want to see 
weird videos that make me laugh, you probably go to Instagram, <laughs> but I'm more active on Twitter. And who knows, maybe I will podcast again one day soon. I super enjoyed this with you guys, though. So thank you for thank you for producing <laughs> such amazing work that has saved me rereading Game of Thrones. Because as much as I love this series, I do not have the bandwidth necessarily to keep going through it. And having collegiate-level mm-hmm. analysis to fall back on is uh, such a joy in audio. So thank you very much. Thank you for coming on and for coming back onto this side of the podcasting. Yeah. You know? Your turn next again. The host? You're it. Yeah. You're it. Oh, and then we'll be it. <laughs> you come over. We come over. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll figure just it keep out. going back and forth. We can go back and forth. Make sure. Yeah. Is his middle name actually no, Railroad? No, oh, my God. <laughs> That's something it's that I, uh, my friend Michael, a.k.a. Bookshelf Stud, just, he just came up with one day. It's his fine. mind, you know. It's fine. He's hilarious. It's going to happen. It's my headcanon. I don't need to learn George's uh, middle Actually, name funny enough, Raymond is his middle name, and his second middle name is not really his middle name. It's his confirmation name, so he uses it for his pen name, and it's yeah. a, and he gets to knock off J.R.R. Tolkien a, a little thing. bit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Cute. Yeah. There it is. My confirmation name is Mine's Cecilia. Mary, after Magdalene. I'll say that one. Hey. We stopped being Catholic before I could go do confirmation. Sucks. You know, you didn't get the full effect. You're fine. I don't know. It seemed like a lot I am of work. You only got Christ. like 60% <laughs> of the torture. You should have gone for the full hundy. <sighs> I, to this day, do not know the Nicene Creed. Like, I know most of it. Don't okay. remember I'm just it. Like, it's not. What? They changed it. They changed it on us. Because, like, I think I could just do it, like, mindlessly if we they, we were doing the one that we learned before. But they fucking, they changed all the goddamn words. They and, like, only why changed they part of it. And it was to down. make sure people like you free learned it. <laughs> yeah, it was a yeah, test. Attention. It was a test. Right? Like, they changed a bunch of things. They're God. like, Lord, I'm not ready to receive you, but come under my roof or some other thing. Like, I'm not ready to, re- to, to for you to welcome under my roof. And I was like, no, like before the version of it like i understand that it's like a metaphor but the other version my god had double entendres and like literally my god God. okay listen if you want to see (sighs) i'm done i'm done more of that uh more of more of this i don't know where you can go to get this probably here you can probably only come here to get this but make sure you follow alex over on her social media which we'll link below in the episode and I'd tune into Impact Venture. I promise it's a real good and it sounds real good, mm-hmm. which is the whole point. I need something that sounds good. I'm excited. Ooh, I'm going to start fired. it. I'm going to start it. You can also always find us also on social media because uh, we're real active on it. I've just posted a dog picture. You might not know it. I'm a dog today. Um, <laughs> you can find us at Girls Gone Canon, uh, C-A-N-O-N on Twitter. Or if you have thoughts, you can email us at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com. Yes, and you can subscribe to us over on a podcast streaming platform near you, whether it is Audible, uh, whether you are looking at Amazon Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher. I hear Acast might be closing, might be not, but they want us to switch to them. I don't know. I'm like, why are you flirting with me if you might be closing? Interesting, interesting. But you can find us there for now as well and a bunch of other places. Hit it to Google. Girls Gone Canon. And, of course, you can always find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon, where patrons in the $5 tier and above, the stranger tier and above, do get access to bonus episodes every month. This month, we are taking a visit into the Imagination Chamber. It's not quite like the Time Chamber in Dragon Ball Z, which lasts a long time. Um, Or you can also... Uh, in the Thunder tier and above, join us on Discord, where 
once a month we have brunch slash happy hour, but we also have a lot of other fun activities. Yeah, like weekly rewatches and discussions of shows and just hangouts. So come and hang out. As always, yeah. I have been one of your hosts, Chloe. And I have been another one of your hosts, Eliana. Thanks so much again. I've not for been coming. another one of your hosts. <laughs> no, you have been another no, one were. of your you hosts. Were, yeah. <laughs> no, you today. were. You were you were a host and you were the musical you brought you were the talent. Yeah, truly. The musical talent. Truly. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, I'll take it. I'll- one of us was Mel, one of us was Stannis, and one of us was Solis, and we don't know which. That's for you. Oh, I was hoping you would be like one of us was Crescent, one of us was Shreed, and one of us was Patchface, and that makes three, as Crescent said earlier. God. (gasps) God. We'll see you all next week or next month. And don't forget, Micah's coming on for chat. Micah is coming on for chat. Chat, 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 (laughs) chat, 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 chat. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.